1: to open the voice gate for january 14th, 2022 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find us on the voices of wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on odd podcast platforms and applications you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate if you would like to donate to the show click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our RedCircle.com landing site you click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and set up a one-time a recurring donation, no obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, Israel Pal. I am Mike Spears, joined alongside my co host and friend Case Lowe. In case it's unit shuffle season, let's get into this.
2: Oh, Mike, I'm tired. This week, the amount of Dragon Gate coverage, the uh, amount of plots I have tried to track, the amount of stories that I have tried to untangle the lore of. It's been a very long week, and I'm very excited to finally break all of this down.
1: This kind of worked out for our benefit, uh, us recording on a Friday afternoon, given that usually we record on Tuesday. That was the dead day between the opening shows in Kyoto and Osaka and the doubleheader. So, you know, it, we at least have had 24 hours to let everything sit, everything breathe. There's not another show until next weekend. But now it's time for us to try to make sense of what happened in the first week of dragon Gates 2022. It's just insane. Like it's something that haven't been through. I'm trying to think of the big unit shuffles while I've been a fan. So pretty much everything is since 2008, having everything kind of congeal the way it did. I know congeal is kind of a gross word, but that's the first one comes to my mind. It's kind of remarkable to see how this everything for the last 18 months has kind of boiled up and, was tied together with a nice, neat bow, and now we're dealing with all the fallout and whatever aftershocks that come from that.
2: I said it in my review, uh, which is up at VoicesOfWrestling.com, a written review of the January 12th and Hall show by me. Mike covered the January 13th show, so we have more expanded coverage and written form with star ratings and whatnot on VoicesOfWrestling.com. But what I said to close out my review was that the last hour of the January 12th show, which was all of the R.E.D. versus Masquerade stuff and the Shun Skywalker turn and Aita and Kaito Ishida being booted out of their own unit. One of the most satisfying hours of pro wrestling that I have ever consumed. And it wasn't that the, the two matches that closed the show were great. It's everything in between made it worth it to cover this promotion as closely as we do. Even people that I talk to that watch this promotion in a very casual way that jump in for every Cork and Hall show or maybe even every other Cork and Hall show, and then they watch the big five throughout the year. But as long as they kind of keep tabs on the promotion, they were thrilled with the results. 2021 was a year of a lot of waiting and a lot of holding patterns and a lot of times where people were able to check out of this promotion because... While the matches were very good, it's not like there was a ton of news happening on every show. And for them to start the year with that that January 12th Corcoran Hall show, to grab headlines, to make it... I, this is the most talked about Dragon Gate show, I think, in years. I mean, I felt like more people were talking about this show than they were the Yoshino retirement show in the summer. The, the way these shows are talked about are, are spoken of in very different lights, but... I feel like I had more people reach out to me and ask me, hey, what do I need to see? What's going on here? What's the deal with this for the January 12th show? Then I'm probably this show more so than any other show post-OWE split in 2018.
1: The only other times that I would say in recent memory, it seems like that we've had peaks like this, like Yoshino's retirement, as you said, completely different thing. I would say Ultimo returning at Kobe World in 2019 was also... Seen as big moment because you also had that and you had Pac and Binke, and that was seen at least amongst a big group of international fans. Big moment, really. It, it, with Pac coming back, that had a spike, and that was also post WWE split. But yeah, that that certainly hit a different pocket
2: of fan, where right, just because exactly. of where Pac had been there, it was. I mean. There was a lot of bad coverage of Pac showing up at a Japanese indie or why is he here and not in New Japan. And I was very much on the record from day one after he left the WWE of going. Him in New Japan is not out of the realm of possibility, but when he pops back up in Japan, it's going to be in Drangate first, and I explained that to people who would listen to me, and unfortunately, not enough people listened to me because some were baffled when he showed up and he attacked Shingo Takagi and joined RED and proceeded to have one of the great Dreamgate runs of all time that, you know, led them to K and K led them to Doi, and Doi led them to Eita, and oh my god, here we are now. It went Eita and Shun, and then who beat Shun for the title? That was Yamato, and then Kai, and now we're here, and Shun's an R.E.D., and oh my God, what is happening?
1: So really, in a way, everything since the OWE split has led to January 12, 2012, or 2022, when you think about it, because that pack title run, Ada's, uh, or sorry, KZ's big defense, then KZ, then you had Shun Skywalker, and then you had you, and then you, you had Dragon Kid in there, but Dragon Kid, I mean, Dragon Kid's Nikoi and Ada, they love beating him in that arena, so... I'm disregarding that for the sake of this exercise. But in a lot of ways, everything since then led to just this, the best way to describe it is like a unit implosion that occurred. And something that you take what was the high storyline of last year in Masquerade versus RED, and you immediately go, all right, Masquerade? Is pra- it, for all intents and purposes is over. Shun has defected. Red has won. Ata and Kaido Shida have been ejected. They claim that they are the real or true Red, but for all intents and purposes, we have a brand new new heel unit. It'll probably get renamed sometime soon, and it feels like that this is like the end of that page, and at the same time, it's also continuing the heel continuity in a way that there this could have been a time for R.E.D. to lose a disbands match and start up a new heel continuity, but I think they have found a strong way to do that with what happened on the 12th.
2: Yeah, like I said earlier, just a completely satisfying way of unraveling chaos. Now, I should mention before we start breaking down all of these unit moves, as of the time we record, which is the mid-afternoon on January 14th, if you go to the official Gyora Dragon Gate website where they have the roster listed out and they list it by unit, Masquerade still exists at this point. It's Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and La Estrella. Dragon Daya is no longer in Masquerade. And of course, Shun Skywalker now listed under the RED section, whereas Ata and Kaito Ishida are listed without a unit. So I know we had some questions in the Voices of Wrestling Discord about where Masquerade stands as of this recording, the company is still acknowledging them as an official unit, so we will do the same.
1: Right, yeah, and I think even in my spreadsheet, which I I posted some screenshots of, I still have Masquerade as existing, but their future is pretty short. <laughs> I, I think it's fair to say, but yeah, uh, the interesting thing about this, and I will post a screenshot of the website, it's, it's gowra.co.jp backslash Dragon Gate, I'll post a screenshot for it. Uh, It's very fascinating with me because they do kind of set everyone up in like their unit ranking in a way that in the unaffiliated right now, it's Ultimo, Dragon Daya, and then Yokioka leading off there, which I find incredibly fascinating.
2: Yuki Yoshioka looks, his body looks like he's about to wrestle Kobashi for the Triple Crown title. Like we'll talk more about Yoshioka later, but he in a weird way, you know, Mike and, and let the record show, in case the Yakuza's listening, I did not do this, but two weeks ago, Mike bashed the Showa system and was very negative on the way New Japan develops young talent. Not me, not I, just in case anybody's listening, that was all Mike Spears. But in a weird way, Yoshioka just had this like incredibly fruitful excursion where he goes to Mexico right when COVID hits. That's obviously not ideal, but then he comes back under the hood for a year. But when we finally see his actual body for the first time since the uh early months of twenty twenty in a pre-COVID world, it's like, oh my God, this guy did exactly what this system is designed to do. He he exited the system, originally a youngster who was a bigger guy on the roster, but not incredibly muscular. And he came back uh fucking jacked, quite frankly, and now looks like he could win the Dreamgate title at any point in his career.
1: I, two points of contention I would like to raise here, Case. <laughs> just two. Just two. One on a previous show we had, with Jay, Jay pointed out that that he that Yuki Oshio-ka does have Showa good looks. So <laughs> him coming back like this makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And <laughs> what, then two, what a
2: strange but specific and right on the muddy compliment that I do not remember Jay saying that, but that is really funny.
1: And two. The most Dragon thing, drink thing possible. He looks like crap when he came when he was unmasked, and then the next day he has a fresh haircut. He shaved, he shaved off his weird chin thing, or he trimmed it up there. He got a little bit of tan, not enough tan, in my opinion. Like well, the, the, there's some people on this roster that really need to. Uh, me and Aaron Bentley are espousing people who need to do the GTL lifestyle, and so some people need to take after Kay on this roster. That's all I'll say here. But he comes out looking like a million bucks, and holy crap. Like that's the most dragon thing, Gate thing possible. Case okay? like less than twenty four hours, you, you you're wearing your weird goth like mini suit that you had with like the uh, with like the air knit uh dry fit on, and then you come out and you look like an absolute star. It's like,
2: extreme makeover Dragon Gate edition, and, and Ty Pennington killed it this time around as well.
1: That's a name I have not heard in like 15 years.
2: I love that I didn't have to look it up. I had that one in the holster somehow. I was ready to fire that one off.
1: You were like five when that show was on air to begin (laughs) with. Yeah, but I have gross media consumption habits. (sighs) I think that can describe both of us. But (laughs) Let's get into this week's program. We're going to be talking a lot about the unit shakeup stuff. Just had a lead off of a quick taste of that there. They had four shows this week. It was a busy week in... The Dragon System. Uh, they had shows on the eighth and ninth. Their traditional start off shows in Kyoto and Osaka. We'll, we'll, we'll run through those cards. Those shows won't be up on the network for very much longer. And then we'll we'll spend the rest of however long it takes f- for us talking about one of the biggest double headers in Dragon Gate history. I mean, recent history. I mean, I just said it was like sort of a new era, so I I should stick with my tagline there, I guess. But l- l- let's talk about uh, Kyoto and Osaka leading off the. Kyoto was on the 8th. Odds are, by the time you're listening to this, you might be able to check it out if you if this gets out early or it's just recently removed from the network. Uh, Osaka will be up on the network until the 16th. They still got some time on that. Just off the top, because it really does feel like you had to handle the Osaka and Kyoto shows as one and then talk about the uh, Tokyo one. So just in general, what were your thoughts about the uh, first two shows of Dragon Gate's 2022?
2: They were really fun shows. I, I think if there's anything from these shows that let's say you skip them, you just dove into the cork and you're wondering what you missed the, the consequential stuff on these shows was the Shun Skywalker and Masquerade versus R.E.D. stuff. So if you've seen the cork and hall, it might not exactly be essential viewing. I thought the Kyoto show was a lot of fun and the Osaka show. I had two matches at four stars. So there was a lot to like between these two.
1: Yeah, I. It, the nice thing about like the Kyoto and Osaka, like m- like TV stops, not like the Osaka Champion Gate shows. But the nice thing about these are that usually, yes, it's not the full production that you're going to get in Korokin. Just we might have new listeners this week. The only shows each month you should count on having commentary and full production are Korokin's, Tokyo shows. The rest of the shows are single cam, no no audio. Sometimes there might be some differences there, but for these two shows, the nice thing about them is they're so, they're always so watchable. And if you're judicious with your fast forward and you know what, you're like, Oh, they're going to be doing the opening talk. Now it's going to be eight minutes from now. I can, I could skip this. You can get through both of these shows in about two hours each.
2: Should we mention here, because I don't think we've actually had a chance to talk about it on the podcast. The last time we recorded the announcements for Kyoto and Osaka were just made. And those announcements were that these two shows in particular, they were going to announce the talent that was appearing on the shows, but they weren't going to announce any matches. And as we learned very early on in the Kyoto show, that going forward until otherwise noted, Dragon Gate is going to be running what we've dubbed essentially these mystery vortex format shows where Title matches will be announced ahead of time, and any matches that wrestlers agree to ahead of time will be announced. But under cards, or in the case of probably these Kobe and Kyoto and Osaka and Fukuoka shows, it is going to be entirely a mystery up until bell time. What do you think about this strategy, Mike?
1: I'm of a couple minds about this. Uh, first and foremost, I would be stunned if this is the strategy coming out of uh after champion game memorial gate i think they'll get back to uh full cards just because this seems to be something to keep the unit shuffle at the top of people's minds and also you want to at least for the native fans you want to list who all is going to be there because dragon gate's back doing as short sighted as it may be back doing like signings and stuff so that you don't want to have someone in kyoto who's been waiting for a year and a half to get their UT autograph, and then UT, uh, then doing a Mystery Vortex show and not list that UT is not going to be there and they're going to be really bummed out. So it, it makes sense, the strategy about this. Uh, business-wise, I think we've seen kind of like a, it, it's kind of hard to evaluate after one week. Like, this was the first Osaka show since, uh, since Gate Destiny. So like that one kind of peaked high attendance wise Kyoto they run Kyoto a lot so like the first show of the year was a big jump up but then Tokyo with the back-to-backs did not do as well as they have been but I can't ascribe that to the secret base format I mean there were all these shows in Tokyo area and even though Dragon Gates fan base is singular in one way so they kind of do their own thing you you still have a lot of exhaustion from New Year's festivities you still have COVID so I don't know if it's going to hurt necessarily at the uh, box office but i'm willing to kind of wait and see and then my last thought about this is uh le- let's be honest case how many times were we getting to a point before a big five major show and we still didn't know the undercard and eventually we just like put our hands up and just wrote about the uh title matches
2: yeah e- even without the system drangate is actually a company that is incredibly hard to record audio previews or write written previews for
1: yeah so for for like at least for like our work standpoint i don't see as much really to uh that really affects us that much other than like if they if this ends up being in the middle of july we don't have a kobe world undercard <laughs> to be quite honest like week in week out for like tokyo shows it, like it might burn five minutes On an episode where like, oh, let's see how, uh, let's take a look at what's happening in Osaka this week. And anything out there uh, interests you? Like, that's like the uh, big change I feel like in my life.
2: Yeah, so when this first got announced, I was not very happy about it. I actually was pretty upset throughout the first part of the week thinking about this. I just don't, I, I don't like it logistically, you know, historically in professional wrestling, People want to buy tickets to shows where they know what's going to be on the show. Taboo Tuesday and Cyber Sunday were, were business flops. I don't trust, really, I don't even like X's in a main event. You know, if it's so-and-so against so-and-so and X, I don't like that at all. I like having the matches known ahead of time. And then I reached out to someone in Japan, and I talked to them about it, and they brought up the good point that that Mike just mentioned is, look, this is a promotion that only announces their cards normally two or three days ahead of time. You know, most of their tickets are sold before any single match is announced, and that talked me off a ledge to some extent, but I still had a lot of concerns about, well, okay, so what are we going to do for champion gate? Are we just going to show up and wait to see who Kai is defending the belt against? And then once Jay had the clarification on English commentary that, hey, title matches are going to be announced ahead of time, there's still going to be some leeway in that if wrestlers agree to wrestle on a certain show that that will be promoted before the date. But a lot of the undercard stuff is going to be a mystery for a long time. Then I don't mind at all. I actually really liked the execution of these shows as a result of that I don't know what it's going to mean from a business perspective because Kyoto was way up from December and in Osaka number two, which they hadn't run since September 11th, that SB Kento versus Kaisuke Akuda match. Attendance was up in Osaka as well, but like Mike mentioned, Corkin was pretty down both nights. You know They had hit a nice little groove of selling out that 714 capacity setup that they've been running. It was a little over 500 for the first night and a little over 600 for the second night. I look at those as disappointments just because in any sort of capacity setting that Dragate imposes on themselves, I expect them to sell out Cork and Hall. That is the standard that they've been living up to for so many years now. So we have two positive results and two negative results coming from this. We need a bigger sample size to judge how this is going to affect their business going forward.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it'll be something to keep tabs on. I think, but how long do you think they're going to do this? Cause I'm really of the mindset that they're just doing this during the unit shuffle. And then when things come to support a stability and especially around when they need to start building up stuff for the cage, they're going to kind of drop that.
2: I think it's going to last much longer than you do. I think this is something that we might be seeing up until Kobe world. Now, part of that could be our difference in what we believe uh is going to be the result of that g m position? I think you are of the belief that somebody besides Rio Saito will be sliding into that role at some point. I think Saito's kind of locked into there for the time being. I think this is something that will extend past setter alive and again possibly into kobe world
1: yeah i i just I just look at Saito and like he's played like a bumbling character, and if someone really wanted to play lawyer to his general managing, I mean. He's had a lot of stuff blow up in his face and I can see eventually him just getting flustered and he's like, I'm done, I'm done. And, and and then we hear it's lightning in the jungle. But like that, that is the thought in my mind. I know Masato Yoshino has a very successful gym that he started up and that requires a lot of time and focus. But I just can't, uh, I it just makes so much sense to me. Masato Yoshino is journal manager down the road. And, and until and, until there's like something definitively saying yes or no, I'm of the belief that eventually we're going to get there.
2: Yeah, look, it would certainly be a fun way to get out of this situation if you have Saito booking all of these Mystery Vortex shows and it eventually blows up at his face. He loses his role as GM and they need somebody else to come in, whether that person is Yoshino or Ultimo or Yagi gets his job back. Although Yagi is in trouble with me after this week and I'm not very happy with referee Yagi. uh, There's there's a number of things they could do, and perhaps that is the end of these Mystery Vortex cards is Ryo Saito losing his job. I also just think it's Drangate, and one day they could go, okay, we're announcing matches 1-8 through from now on, and here's what they look like, and I wouldn't have a complaint either way.
1: Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Just going through these uh, Kyoto results, I'm just going to read them off here, and then we can get into the matches we're really into. Uh, And KBS Hall, again, this show will be pulled from the network on the 15th, uh, opener, Natural Vibes versus High End. High End won. Yamato got the fall over Kamei. Other people in the match. KZ, Susumi, Yokosuka, Dragon Kid, and Binke. Match 2, High End versus Future. Kagatora got the win on Fuda. Uh, Okuda and Fujiwara were the other people involved in this. Special Royal Sambo by Goban, the company that always has the t-shirts at the, uh, at the Kyoto shows. Uh, La Shreya won it with the Planet Fly on Maria. Fuji, Shisha, uh, Mochizuki, Stalker, Sachi, Problem Dragon, Tamanaga, uh, the Ahashi brothers, and Shoya Sato were in it. Uh, we had Natural Vice versus Unaffiliated. Uh, Shimizu got the win on Takumi Hayakawa with the Big Boss press. It was Ginky and Ut, and then Ultimo and Kanda for the other side. Uh, we had Unaffiliated versus Red Kai, BB Hulk, Hyo, and the uh, unaffiliated side was Doi Yoshida and Strong Machine J. Hyo got the win on Strong Machine J. And then we have our main event, Masquerade versus Red. It was uh, uh, Mas- Masquerade gained the win. Shun is, was on another one. He brought up everyone's he brought out everyone's gear this time. It was Shun Skywalker, Koda Minor, Jason Lee, Aita Kaido Ishida, and Sb Kento Hyo accidentally hit Ishida with powder towards the end. And then we had more just masquerade walking out on uh, Shun Skywalker and Kyoto. Uh, this was not the show you had notebook matches on, right?
2: No, I, I did not. I really enjoyed the Ultimo, Kanda, and Hayakawa versus Horaguchi Shimizu, and UT Six Man. And I gave the main event three and three quarters. I thought that was a really, really fun match.
1: Yeah, I had the opener in the main event in three and a half, like, but nothing on this other than the Battle Royal was below three stars. Like, It was, it was a fun uh, opener of the year. The uh, more consequential show the next day was in Osaka Edeon 2. It'll be off the network on the 16th. Opened up with KZ, Big Boss Shimizu, and uh, Jackie Funky making the win on Naruki Doi, uh, Takashi Yoshida, and Yosuke San Maria. It was KZ with the elbow smash. Masaki Mochizuki and Gama versus the Ahashi brothers. Uh, Masaki Mochizuki got the win with a twister on Ishin. Natural Vibes versus unaffiliated. Uh, it was Susumu Ginki and Ut versus Ultimo J- Jason Lee in La Australia. It was Jason Lee getting the win on Ginki with a maximum driver. Uh, unaffiliated uh, for a uh, six way tag was the fourth match. Don Fuji, Yazushi Kanda, and Benkei veterans going up against uh, future. Fujiora Sato and Hayakawa Benkei power bombed Hayakawa through the mat. Uh, we had uh, Shun and Kodamin Nora versus Ata and Hio, and Masquerade kept on their winning ways as RED could not get on the same page. Mainly Ata and Hio. Ata managed like dump like the most powder I've ever seen in my life on Hio for the finish. Like to the extent like there was still powder in the ring, and Tokyo. After that, and then the main event was high end versus red. It was Kai, BB, Hulk, uh, Kaito Ishida, and SB Kento versus Yamato, Dragon Kid, Kakator, and Kesuke Akuda. Yamato gained the win on SBK with the Frankensteiner of the Almighty.
2: Yes, yeah, so the last four matches on this show, if you start with the Jason Lee, Lastre, and Ultimo versus Natural Vibes tag, I went three and a half on that. I went th- uh, three and three quarters on Benkei, Don Fuji, and Kanda versus the Rookies, and I went four stars on both Minoru and Skywalker versus Eita and Hyo, and four stars on high end versus RED with Yamato pinning SB Kento, which I thought was interesting in the main event. A- an excellent show. Dragon Gate always delivers in Osaka, and this was no different. I would say carve out time, especially for that Menorah and Skywalker versus Aita and Hyo match, because I thought the storytelling and some of the spots they did in that match were so, and I do not use this term lightly, but so brilliant. And unfortunately, now we've seen the progression of that. It might be a moot point at this point, but in the moment, not knowing what was to come at Cork and Hall, I adored this match for what it was. It was eight minutes of phenomenal next level storytelling.
1: Yeah, and because it was so story intensive and it was basically a prolonged angle, I didn't rate this, but I totally like this was a notebook cal- caliber storytelling going on. I mean, Shun came out wearing all the costumes <laughs> and it just looking out like the Michelin man, like taking off a mask, handing someone a mask. No one's interested in the mask whatsoever. Like, just some awesome character work. And then Ada Hio, the way that they've kind of played off the fact that Hio, uh, He got the big brain after being responsible for the RED victory over Torimon and the uh, loser must suspends match in 2020, because he won that battle Royal to make one match. And ever since then, him and Aita really started to butt heads here in a, in a nice subtle way where they would bring it up and, and something like that Aita would do or something that Hio would play and would backfire on and Aita and Ishida were getting more and more just frustrated with him And, Just erupting into that powder attack. Like, did you notice that, like, Shun had to eat time in the ring just so they could start, uh, try to get up as much powder as possible? Like, (laughs) it was a phenomenal powder attack. Yeah,
2: no, it's this was all really good stuff. I was really happy after this Osaka show with pretty much everything that went on. It was just a show that flowed, you know, some of these. And Osaka is a bigger show than Kobe or Kyoto or, or, or Fukuoka, but every once in a while you hit one of those shows that just. Even if it's a two-hour, 15-minute show, it just feels like it's a long time. Nothing totally clicks. Nothing is all that outstanding. And for you know, us in this position, you know, you watch some of these shows, you go, okay, well, how am I going to talk about this? How am I going to make this interesting? And this Osaka show, again, we're not going to spend a ton of time on it because of what happened in Corkin, but this is one of those shows that if we were just reviewing this alone, I could talk about this show for an hour. There was a ton of stuff that I loved here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's something where, like, one of my favorite matches on this show was that Ultimo Trios match, and it just was getting to see Jason and UT in there, and then it just was, like, the right balance of Jokey and working with it, and it just was, like, such, like, an, a nice match. But, of course, like, just up and down these Osaka shows, I mean, just, again, you can watch this in two hours. The wrestling... There, there, there was more complete wrestling, with the exception of one match and Corkin on the on this Osaka show and it was just an absolute blast i mean just like the Save the futures kid kids at this point like being put into these matches now and are just not a uh, nice not a bit out of step and most of them are just have just been pro for a month and a half and it kind of breaks my brain
2: how about workhorse ultimo working now noah and dragon gate in being really really fun in the process and i you know, I, I talked about it the last time we recorded about how that GIF of Ultimo on the Noah show blowing up the way it did really annoyed me just because it shows that Drangate is not on as many people's radars as you would hope. And I I certainly hope that somebody Googled Ultimo and saw that he was still working here and is now watching Drangate because of him and listening to this show because they got interested in that Ultimo GIF because, you know, when he came into this promotion two and a half years ago, I was really, really scared of the atmosphere that he was going to bring with him and what he could mean for the long-term future of Dragon Gate because Ultimo Dragon, while he is by many accounts a lovely, lovely man, has... One of the craziest egos of anybody to ever exist. And I don't even mean that as a slight. He's Ultimo Dragon. He should carry himself like a walking god. But it is what led to the exodus of Toriumon and then becoming Dragon Gate. And for Ultimo to have just almost nestled himself, that's the word I want to use, is the way he's just nestled himself into this fun, undercard position where it's not like he's going out there and killing himself but he also is showing effort on these undercards and he's working with guys like jason in ut and he's always having fun matches with genki this is such a it's just the best case scenario for everybody involved not named shima and not named magnum tokyo it seems like everyone else is having <laughs> so much fun with this and Quite frankly, I'm, I'm okay with sacrificing those two's feelings because Ultimo has just been such a delight in Dragon Gate lately.
1: I mean, Shima has his ti- his Tyrannosaurus Rex title that he's going to be fighting for soon. So, I mean, he, that's, that's
2: not nice. That's not the name of that title. Put some respect on the G Rex belt.
1: I, I, I stand by what I said the <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex title. And <laughs> Magnum has his dojos. I mean, the. the their lots in life aren't as bad as it could be <laughs> i mean Sh- shima already working new japan while this title match is going on that that tells you what all you need to know about glee in my opinion but uh,
2: Sh- shima finishing 10th among active wrestlers in the wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame this year and confirms not everything even, confirms not everything
1: e- we've been saying for years
2: case not even finishing in the top 30 in any other category makes me irate i thought about that all day at work about how reporters and retired wrestlers and whatever the other category is are so clueless and i have written articles about this guy i talk about on this podcast every year i don't know what else to do i genuinely think outside of okada who got in this year and punk who i would have voted for before his aew return and i'm stunned he didn't get in this year i'm stunned he didn't even come close i really thought he was going to come in or i thought he was going to get in this year uh other than those two i think Shiva is the most qualified guy on the ballot and he continues to drop which is mind-blowing i just i don't understand it i do not get it at all but this is not the shiba podcast this week
1: uh, all I have to say about the awards, just under risk of Aaron Bentley hearing this and punching me in the neck. Uh, Shingo Takagi should get the Mariana Rivera treatment next year. That that's I, all I'll say. I,
2: look, I, if I, I think Shingo has really good odds, assuming New Japan doesn't entirely implode this year, because I I think he has hit a level of universal respect to where, and I normally use this in a derogatory way, but I'm uh, attempting to not here. But I feel like even the people that crawl through squared circle Reddit, for whatever reason, it clicks with them that Shingo is one of the all-time greats. And perhaps it's just because of the the visibility of where Shima has worked and when he's worked that it doesn't necessarily resonate with people that way. But I feel very good about Shingo's chances of getting in.
1: Yeah, no, I think he probably is the one person from the Dragon, dragon System, uh, Dragon Gate, that will be getting in. And I don't count Okada really in that regard. I guess UDO6 counts. Like, I should be fair. I should put some respect onto Hajime Ohara's name there. His I mean,
2: look, say what you will about Ultimo Dragon. His vision of pro pro wrestling is everywhere right now. You've obviously got the original trainees that are still going on in Dragon Gate, the T2P guys that are still going strong. Taiji Ishimori, the prize pupil of Torimon X, was not only a success in pro wrestling Noah, but is now a success in new Japan pro wrestling. You have the UDO six guys, most notably Okada, who is Okada. And then you look at, you know, this new generation of Drangate guys who Ultimo doesn't have a hand in training in, but the fact is this promotion exists because of his vision. And they are the number two promotion in Japan with as much upward trajectory as any promotion in the world right now, quite frankly, maybe other than AEW, depending on how you think they manage their young talent it's remarkable what Altimo's done over a 25-year period from starting the training school in 1997 to now, and I, I don't know if if he gets the credit he deserves for not only the original class of Toriyama, which I feel like everybody points to when they talk about his influence, but the decade that came out. After that original class and what he was able to do, even if they all didn't work out within the Ultimo ecosystem, obviously with Okada leaving and doing his thing, with Ishimori leaving and doing his thing, they are still products of Ultimo, and it's remarkable. There's nobody with the resume that he has. He is so unique to himself, and like I said, you know, it, it, we'll talk about it later when we talk about him and garukin Mask and what they did. But this is—it's just really nice having Ultimo around. I, I'm really enjoying his presence on these shows.
1: Yeah, and it's something with him that I think that Ultimo, like, we know what we're going to get out of Ultimo, I think that might be something that we're embarrassed by the amount of wrestling we see of his. That like, We know what we get here, but like the fact that he's able to do this and then go to Noah and everyone go, hey, that's Ultimo Dragon. I remember Ultimo Dragon everyone going, oh, he still rocks. Like, that is something that, I mean, when you give, like, his injury that he had, that he had to retire for and then come back from, the fact that almost 20 years i think it's actually 20 years next year since returning he's still like, like yeah he's not having like his classic j crown matches he's not having those nitro cruiserweight title matches but he's like i mean he's in his 50s and you, you can't think of very many wrestlers at the at the age that he is and is just consistently fun you know i mean it's like it's like misaki mochizuki takashi sugiera and then you're and that it's who you're trying to score points with Who you're gonna say
2: <laughs> and i this is admit i will talk about this on a podcast at some point I, we've uh, maybe touched on it briefly but pre ultimo ultimo before he got that gimmick really really fun to rewatch. and i think that period of his career because at that point he's just a guy in hamada's promotion it's It's worth revisiting or visiting for the first time if you haven't seen it, especially his work against Negro Casas and uh, Hamada's Universal. It's it's a career that is worth reexamining just to put him when you take his business acumen and his entering career and his influence. It is truly worth examining just how influential and how great he has been to this industry.
1: Yeah, it it it's something like whenever I watch Universal, I just have like such a good vibe feeling. Like it's such a good time in it. And it's Unmasked Ultimo and he's doing he's doing things you're like, oh, no wonder uh, he picked Dragon Kid to be to inherit the mask. Like it just like a sigh at a certain level, you're like, Oh yeah, no, it makes total sense how the next thirty years would <laughs> pan out for him at that point.
2: Mike, let's talk about these damn Cork and hall shows. All right, let's
1: do so these two Cork and Hall shows, the 12th and the 13th, they'll be up on the network until the 19th. They have English commentary with Jay and a bevy of guests, including Kness this time, a more successful call with Yosuke San Maria, Jason Lee, and your uh, Wrestling Observer Ballot 2022 Color Commentator of the Year, Ginky Horaguchi. So be sure to check those out. Uh, how much fun is Ginky on commentary? Genki's great. I thought Jason Lee was very
2: fun. Jason Lee threw in an over-generation reference, which anybody mentioning over-generation is astonishing in and of itself, but it was so surprising to me, and I think it even caught Jay off guard, where he was talking about how Ata hasn't been a babyface in so long, and Jason, who... Uh, was very fun at Final Gate when he was on commentary, but rightfully so seemed very nervous. This time goes, well, yeah, he has a, you know, he hasn't been a good guy since over generation. It was like, oh, okay, this man's throwing out some deep cuts now. I love this. The, I, I can see how, if you're a newer viewer to this product, perhaps you you aren't in love with the Japanese guys joining Jay in the English commentary booth. But for Mike and I, this has become our new favorite thing. Horiguchi is objectively awesome in the booth. It's very cool that jay was able to call matches with Kness. i'm sure he greatly enjoyed that and jason lee is someone who i would invite every time up i think he i think he adds a lot in the position that he's in
1: yeah and it's kind of cool to have someone in the middle of the unit shuffle being like as point blake is masquerade still a thing like that was <laughs> which is one. a
2: genuinely tough question to answer
1: yeah yeah no no but it like adds a flavor of the unit shovels that we haven't had before you know at least as a english speaking fan that knows very little japanese so i appreciate it a lot i just like it just is a showcase of skill being able to have someone that like jason and, and ginky are mostly doing commentary in english but for like Kness and especially maria and then the one he did at final gate with punch where he would where where he would call the match in english and then Say something in Japanese to get the uh, other person's response and then translating that back to english was was just it, it's something we you don't see in wrestling right now. that I thought was absolutely phenomenal
2: no genuinely incredible i mean i I really like it i i Jay has developed his own style i I liked him from the beginning. Even when he was in that Mike Taney calling the cruiserweights type role when he was with either just Larry Dallas or Larry Dallas and Lenny Leonard and was just there to translate and to give, you know, factual information. But he is he has become one of my favorite commentators in wrestling because he has I mean, anybody that's talked to Jay over the years know he is a very dry man. He has a very dry sense of humor and even just little lines, you know, he mentioned on the 13th, the day after Dragon Daya came back, you know, that, that much like, you know, himself, Dragon Daya is using skateboard, uh, skateboarding to cope with personal traumas, which is just a great line. Like, Jay had a very good weekend of obviously explaining the chaos that was going on, the significance of it, and why it matters, but then doing it in a way that I feel like is true to this promotion to where even in times of great strife, there's a little bit of humor and there's a sort of light hardness to it that I really enjoy. So I I've, I've always been a fan of Jay in the booth, but this weekend was one of those weekends where I thought he particularly shined.
1: Yeah. And that was on display with the opener on the 12th. This was natural vibes versus high end KZ Susumi, UT and Jackie funky Kame, uh, versus Yamato dragon can, big KF Kakatora of, of high end, uh, Yamato got the win over Ginky Horiguchi with the Galeria, and JFK and Yamato case like each week ever since really like taking that step forward Kamei has like just started to add more and more like momentum to him and just like the interactions he had with Yamato in this opener really put some things in about him in a different light for me.
2: Yeah, he's really settled into this role of being the fun opening match guy, which is a really valuable role to have for a few years. And I've mentioned this in, in a bunch of writing recently, but Shun Skywalker in 2017, 2018 people forget that his role was that he would be in, in an opening six or eight man tag team match. He will let all these guys do some offense. They would spill out to the floor and then Shun, without fail, would do a giant springboard moonsault onto the pile. And that was kind of his role for a while. And, and being in that role provided these opening matches with a little bit of juice, with a, with a little bit of fun. It wasn't just four old guys or four unaffiliated guys having a match to start the show. There was something to look forward to there. And Kame has taken that role a step farther where he's not just doing his one or two big spots and then moving on. He is a vital part of chugging these matches forward of bringing life and energy into the start of the show because that is going to be his role. You know, we talked a lot this year or this past year rather about Genki Horiguchi and how he just embodies the spirit of this company. Genki Horiguchi is Drangate. And we've talked recently about how it doesn't seem like it's an accident that Jackie, Funky, Kamei, and UT, people who grew up fans of this product are following in his footsteps. And Kamei time after time again is just putting his foot forward in the best way possible to open up these shows. I mean, that is a repeated talking point in our in the Voices of Wrestling Discord now is, hey, did you guys catch that opener? Kamei was really, really good here. Him beating Yamato in a chop battle is a thrilling thing to see. Ultimately, it means nothing but in the moment. That was a really exciting spot and it is yet another feather in Kamei's cap. And I will give him even more praise as we talk about the second night of Cork and Hall shows.
1: Yeah, it, it's something where with him, and, and I'll say my piece about him here, and you could uh, give him his laurels in a bit. I, I've i talked about how important it is that he's in a unit with Ginky Horaguchi and KZ, but it really stretches further back than that. I mean, Ginky is kind of the originator of like this uh, opener energy guy, but I mean, like a lot of people on this roster like and it's something that's very important for dragon gate i mean this was akira tozawa's position basically his entire time in the promotion was he was the easy person to get the crowd's energy up and that's a lane that for Kame probably was not available to him or that was not the expectation with him when he initially joined natural Vise. but like you're setting up like someone that i mean Kame still under the age of 22 could be doing this for the next 10, 15 years. And that's so important for this promotion.
2: Yeah, we talked about it the last time we recorded when we were kind of summarizing 2021, which is an episode I highly recommend listening to. If this is your first time listening to Open the Voice Gate or you parachute in because there is, you know, a bunch of big stuff that happened this week. Our last episode, we went over all of 2021, our awards, what we liked, what we didn't like. And part of what we talked about was, you know, this is the second iteration of natural vibes. This was KZ's unit in 2018 and 2019. And when there started to be storyline rumors of KZ restarting this unit at the start of 2021, we thought it might be a red herring, and we thought he might turn heel, and then he didn't. And the first few months of this new natural vibes unit were pretty dry. Kamei was hurt, and it just and this was before Shimizu joined. And it just didn't seem like the chemistry was all there. But as we've seen from July onwards, this is actually a well-oiled machine and everything natural vibes does right now is really clean. And even if they aren't at the top of the card, even if they aren't in the most important matches, I'm really into everything that Natural Vibes is doing right now. They're a really fun unit, and I think what they're doing now will pay off in dividends in the future, specifically for Kameh and for UT.
1: Yeah, and it's something that Natural Vibes, unit shift-wise, I, I can't think of anyth- anything you'd want to shuffle around with this unit. Like Everything works here, and everything feels fresh enough that when they got everyone back, there's nothing I would change. I, I think that this unit rocks, and I don't even know who you would add from the future class in there. I mean, I, I could maybe see the Ahashi brothers, you know, getting down at the dance, but definitely not Ryo Fudo or Shoya Sato.
2: No, I wouldn't touch a thing. I think this unit, as it exists right now with these six people, it needs to exist with these people until the unit no longer exists. They can lose a unit disbands match and all go their separate ways, but I wouldn't tinker with this at all right now.
1: No, I, I'm totally on the same page with you with that. Uh, second match was a singles match, the Kumi Hayakawa versus Big Boss Shimizu. My only note I have for this match is, well, Hayakawa, you tried as you lost to the Big Boss press in under 40 seconds.
2: The second time this has happened, he lost basically the same exact match to Shimizu in Hokkaido at the start of December. Now we see him lose in the same fashion in Cork and Hall. The question I ask you, and we'll talk a lot about these rookies uh, as we as we go through those two shows, but it, it's worth mentioning here just because Hayakawa is getting so much spotlight, even if he's losing these matches in under a minute for the most part. We have these four rookies. I'm going to not include the Yahashi brothers in this. I think they're a different animal, but Hayakawa, Sato, Fuda, and Fujiwara. Mike Spears, your gut is telling you which of these rookies is going to be the first one to get a pinfall victory?
1: I think it's going to be Sato. I, I think that they're going to kind of play up the age, and I think he'll, if they haven't concluded the class of 2021, the future class versus the veterans. I think the conclusion is him getting a a win on Don Fuji. Would
2: it? surprise you at all because i i do think that's where they're going with this is eventually we're going to see some sort of future versus veterans all-out war match where it's going to be either four on four if you want to include the yahashi six on six would it surprise you in that setting if we both agree that that's when the future class is going to get their first win if Hayakawa is the one to score that pinfall because they are teasing that side headlock takeover flash pin to such a heavy degree and they are putting him in a position where he's losing all of these matches and he's losing them in under a minute for the most part but it feels like he's getting stronger like I fear him more every time I see him in a singles match now even if the result has largely been the same now that might not mean that he is going to, you know, become a star overnight. I still think the short-term play is that Sato is going to be pushed first and he's going to be pushed hard when he gets pushed. But I could see them giving the honors to Hayakawa there.
1: Well, first, Hayakawa does have the first fall of his class. He did beat the Open the Dreamgate champion Kai.
2: I, I see, I, and I complained about that then. I hated that. <laughs> I hate that move. Kai needed to pin this geek. I, oh, that's, that's dumb. We're not counting that. That's not canon.
1: Well, well, I mean, he threw the match, so it's they don't really consider it either. Uh I just, like, Hayakawa, like, they have to have him in these squashes because they need to get him over to the crowd. So I don't know if him getting the, the fall in this proposed match necessarily needs to happen yet for him. I feel like that that's something with him, that with his size, like, that's always going to be the story here, and maybe it's something where, like, he gets like a gutsy headlock takeover penfall of next month or whenever, and that becomes a thing, but I would hold off on that i th- I feel like that y- you want to see how much underswell you can get for him before then he goes on a streak like i I would think that out everyone in the class like you and until he gets to a point where the crowd is not behind him, and the crowd's laughing instead i think you I think you milk this.
2: I was re-listening to the podcast we did with Jay over the summer, primarily talking about Masato Yoshino, but I I needed to go back and listen to something because I was taking notes uh, on something that we talked about on that show and – Jay mentioned this was before any of these kids had made their official debut. They were just doing the future exhibition matches at this point. But he said on that show, you know, be careful of Hayakawa. He has this little man syndrome where if he is able to figure out a style that works for him, he could get over in a big way. And, uh, you know, a few months into his career, we're absolutely seeing that pay off that Hayakawa really hit the ground running. And I am still... uh, Not concerned, but I I do think there's a very obvious ceiling there, and I worry about his long-term star power. I wonder what the second stage of his career looks like. We talk about what these these Dragon Gate rookies, they often debut and they kill it for their first six months, and then they are given their second task, their second assignment, their second gimmick, and we see a lot of them struggle, and It's a matter of whether or not they can get past that sophomore slump or not. I worry about that with Hayakawa, but also he's been better than expected. He's been so great taking all of these losses that for now I have to give him the benefit of the doubt, and maybe there is more long term potential than I would have initially thought when he debuted.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Like the size is always going to be something with him, and I think that kind of forced a or that forces a ceiling on him. That you know, if he gets the crowd connection, I mean, we, we were just talking about. a With Kamei, get the crowd connection, then the world's your your oyster in this promotion. So, I I think it is him kind of figuring out a way for it to be deserved, and his style works out in his favor. And I think if that's the case, then you know that that's when we're like, okay, he's not going to have the ceiling where it's not dissimilar to like la Australia right now. You know, because that's like the easy, like that's like the head to head comp to me right now is him and la Australia.
2: Well, if that's the comp, then Hayakawa. Is uh going to win that head-to-head battle, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Estrella, match three, Susumi Yokosuka, Gamma, and Strong Machine J versus Ultimo Mask, the Dawn of Okinawa, Gurken Mask, and La Estrella. And Gurken Mask won with a leg roll clutch on Gamma, and... Genki Horiguchi was have the best time remembering all the various machines. <laughs>
2: it was literally, it was like a segment of Jay remembers wrestlers and Genki just popping for all of these wrestlers. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing to listen to. And uh, Mike, the Don of Okinawa, Gurkin Mask here i love the way this was said because it's true he was here to finish off some business transactions you know his indie his okinawa based indie is running tokyo in march and he needed to show face at these cork and hall shows shake some hands and make some deals i tweeted it out already he is a successful version of jeff jarrett because everybody always talks about how jeff jarrett always lands on his feet and how he can't die and this and that guru can mask never makes mistakes this guy is is what it would look like if Jeff Jarrett knew what he was doing all the time. He runs a humble, local indie and has assessed friendships with the most powerful players in all of professional wrestling. I love this man.
1: I mean, he was able to book Yamato in a match with Jun Kasai for his Riku Pro show. Like, how can't you respect Gurk and Mask?
2: We're going to enter a really interesting stage of Yamato's career, and... It, you know, in, in Dragon Gate storyline, I think it's really important to mention this, and when we kind of talk about what we think the future is going to hold, I, I will bring this up again, but Yamato's last Dreamgate run, that run from August to December, he said the entire time that, you know, he was inspired by Tozawa and Shingo and the success they had had outside of Dragon Gate, and as a now 40-year-old man, Yamato wanted one last run at the top before this promotion passed him by before the youth fully took over and over the past month we've seen him lose that title we've seen him wrestle on a hard hit show with minora suzuki and we're now seeing him wrestle jun kasai in a tag match in march i am afraid we are entering yamato's midlife crisis
1: I mean, I've seen worse wrestler Midnight Life Crisis than doing a show for your friend where you're wrestling against y- you and Kasai, you know? like I, That's that's pretty bad. It's not good. I mean, he he, he could have decided to take a tour of the extended Dragon System go see what Secret Base is up to.
2: God, that'd be great. That would be the one way to get me to watch Secret Base. I don't even know if those shows make—they i they, they don't make tape, do they? Oh, yeah. They
1: sell DVDs.
2: Oh God, that's dark. I don't know why. That's just, I would rather if you had said
1: no. Nobody films these shows than they have DVDs. <laughs> I mean, they did like a seventy person house at like Chiba, at like a uh, Shinchiba, Sh-Shinkiba with with minced tejo on top.
2: Well, I think this Ryukyu Dragon Pro show in Shinjuku Face, which is just where Kyushu Pro, another business partner of Dragon Gate, ran. Kyushu Pro sold out the maximum uh, number of tickets they were allowed to sell. I would expect the same for Ryukyu Pro. I'm stoked that and Mask is now expanding his business. And, you know, he was fun in this match. It was eh, nothing undercard match, but we did get the announcement of KZ and UT wrestling on that show, as well as what Mike just mentioned, and Mask and Yamato versus Takashi Sasaki and Jun Kasai. That match is nuts.
1: Yeah, I, I think when we, next time we do a buffet, if that match has already happened, we're, we're going to be talking about that one case.
2: This is true. I I know, uh, our man who feeds us Ryuku Dragon Pro footage—I know he's listing. So March fourth, we will definitely need a link to that show. <laughs> he's a good man. He's—he is the one man that takes time out of his life to send us and mask matches, and I really respect. Thank you, him Adam. For that. Thank you,
1: Adam. It's <laughs> a good man. Yeah, uh, I'm glad we got to talk about some happy things, case because we got to talk about uh, Yagi's big fuck up here. It was a. Another singles match. This was KSK Okuda versus the guy he inspired, Ria Fuda, And just the finish was uh, KSK Okuda pinning uh, Ria Fuda after Ria Fuda went out in the sleeper hold. Like, I guess it's something that, like, as kickboxers, they're like, all right, let's not hold back here. Let's go for it. And Okuda had his sleeper hold that he usually does to set up the PK on really tight. Fuda went out, Yagi did the arm drop thing, and then at 3, he did not call for the bell. He uh, waved it off there. Uh Okuda tried to like lift him up thinking like okay, maybe Fudo was subtle about it and instead he instead Fudo was unconscious for a second and then Okuda quickly pinned him for a 3 count. Yagi fucked up. There's no other way to put it here.
2: So removing the finish from this match, which I want to talk about in just a second, but uh, even before that I was not a fan of this match and I explained it in my review that we've seen so many great moments and so many fun matches between this current class of rookies and the veterans on the roster because it seems like even though the veterans are winning it you know pretty dominantly at times those matches are really fun and the rookies get to shine, and it fits the tone of this promotion. There is a certain vibe to rookies versus veterans matches that Dragate has been able to nail. I think it's one of the things they do best, and this is a company that you know I obviously like most of what they do. This match, I just didn't like it at all. I felt like Akuda went in there and bullied him, and not that he took advantage of him, because I don't want to blame Akuda for the finish. I don't think that's fair. It seemed like a freak thing. You know, judging from the fact that he was standing up to go to his penalty kick, I don't think he intentionally meant to choke out this kid, but there was just a certain bitterness to this match that seemed very out of place in the context of Drangate. It just seemed mean-spirited and a little too much like something you would see in All Japan or in NOAA, where they really take advantage of their rookies, and, and... for the most part, I like that stuff. I love watching, you know, Tenru slap the shit out of Kenta. Their their singles match in 2005 was one of my personal favorite matches of all time. But it, it works because it, it happened in Noah and not in Gate. And this just seemed a little too ma- possibly masculine, possibly just too much tough guy energy. I don't know what it was, but it just didn't click with me. I haven't talked to you about it, though. Are, are we on the same page here, or prior to the finish, were you enjoying this match?
1: I thought that this match was a little bit more mean-spirited than the, than the usual gut-check matches. But I carved that up to the idea of Fuda as a kickboxer. Okuda, we know his MMA background. Maybe they decided just to go in there and go swing. And Okuda was like, all right, we're going to go hard, and you're going to take a beating here, but we're going to go hard here and that was kind of my thing like i i was enjoying this match but it also was one of those things that I did not have the dragon gate vibe usually for these matches and i think that's why like in context i totally get how you did not like this match for that i kind of liked the difference that was going on there and the idea that this could be a way to kind of build up something because you uh, okuda is one of the more confounding people in this roster right like he wrestles his style and if you're able to play into his style you'll get a great match out of him but if you don't if you aren't going for the bantam style as we called it it's not gonna it doesn't always work so having Fuda there i think he felt like he could uh, put the foot on the pedal and kind of wrestle the style of match there I, I just think really the the person in all of this like even if Akuda was going a little hard in this match the person out of this who who, who screwed it up was yagi and now that now he has kind of his track record uh, it's,
2: it's a bad look for yagi i was very vocal in defending him at final gate 2020 when shun skywalker knocked out ben k in the main event of that show because that was a freak accident and although you would rather just have yagi count the three as a shoot i it's dragon gate things like that just don't happen, you know. I, I talked about it when Masada Yoshino retired. The story that Mike Seidel told me, where Seidel his second night in the company, he teamed with Yoshino. He ended up, you know, he Yoshino was planning on doing a double team spot with Seidel, and Seidel forgot and didn't get in the ring, and Yoshino had to do it himself. And you know, after the match, Seidel went up to Yoshino and he said, "Hey, you know, my, my bad, you know, I messed up, but but it, it's all good. Nobody noticed." And Yoshino looked him in the eyes and said watch me, I don't fuck up, you don't fuck up, okay? This is Draghi, you don't fuck up. That is the tone that this promotion has set backstage, where you just, you never see these guys mess up. So, in the Ben K situation, again, it's not ideal, but I get it. Here, it's a bad look for Yagi. But I do think there's a positive to come out of this, and I'm really curious to see what the next step is here, where... Fuda gets choked unconscious by the guy that inspired him to be a wrestler and once he regains consciousness he starts crying and he has to get carried to the back by Ishii Hashi it is you, you know we talk about emotional scenes in wrestling a lot of the time and that can cover a wide range of emotion but rarely do we see wrestlers in particular Guys cut from the cloth of an Okuda or a Fuda or any other dumb jock that you can name, where they are so vulnerable in wrestling. We saw raw human emotion as he was regaining consciousness and getting carried to the back. And that is such an interesting development for Fuda in particular, because we kind of know who santo is and he's not going to be the most expressive guy but he does have his lineage of being obviously a great judoka and a former teacher so he has that built into his character hayakawa is a small little man who's going to use that to his advantage even though it might not be enough at all times and he has that built into his character and we're seeing it very quickly with fujiwara that he is sort of this all-around guy who has been dreaming of being a pro wrestler his entire life. Jay has been sure to mention, and I love this story so much, I talk about it all the time now, Of for his career day in middle school, he went to the Michinoku Pro Dojo. I love that so much, and that's something that I can latch on to him. I really like Fuda as a wrestler so far. I really like his in-ring. I think there's a lot there, but we haven't been able to crack his core. We don't know what makes him tick. We don't really know anything about him, other than that, he's a kickboxer, and to see him crying in front of the man that inspired him to be a pro wrestler, if they choose to use this and by proxy milk it, because I think that you either, you either have to never mention this again, or you have to make this a thing, and I really hope they go with the latter. I hope they make this a thing, because I think in the long term, it could be incredibly beneficial to Fuda and his character.
1: Yeah, because Fuda is someone that, at least initially, in my opinion, you had, as you laid out, like, the hooks that fans can get into, some of the younger wrestlers, and especially the Futures kid, like, there's enough reason for the other five. Fuda was the one that, even, like, when he started to be, he was like, well, he's the kickboxer. And it's like, all right, let's see where it goes to with this. And this could be the moment. Like, now you could really see, like, I loosely like put this in the thread i did on the voice gate twitter i'm gonna be doing updates basically on how the unit shovels is going i'm a spreadsheet geek so expect those and fuda is the one that i could really see plug into high end as the last post and like take advantage of that mentor mentee relationship with okuda then you get benke in there and and surprise you have yourself a triangle gate team right there and i think that if they decide to tap into it that's probably the most pop positive route forward coming out of this
2: yeah again i i was not a fan of this match from the get-go as disappointed because i i really like the Fuda versus mochizuki stuff and i i think Fuda is someone who will figure out his entire game at some point i remain incredibly bullish on his future was not into this match but i do think there's a silver lining in all of this with possibly breaking that hard shell that he's presented so far and giving him a little bit more depth
1: yeah, like depth is what I'd really love to see coming out of that for him. Uh, the next match was uh, the new era Doi Yoshi, Naruki Doi, and Takashi Yoshida defeated BB Hulk and Kai, and it was Yoshida getting an inside cradle on Kai in the post match. Yoshida brought up that he wanted the Dreamgate shot, and now he kai would have to agree to it because he has a direct pinfall kai said hey that's a flash pin we're not counting this and then naruki doi tried to recruit Koda Minora for the international house of hot boys minora was like just being like i'm not sure i go and see what's happening with masquerade before we do this he's like well guess what all these shows are surprised let's team next week but minora uh turned the ground ag- down yet again because he had too much going on with all that was happening in masquerade
2: a classic shy boy energy from Coach Minora. I really like this because he, I, I, you know, let's let us tell it like it is. Coach Minora is devilishly handsome. And ever since Daruki Doi mentioned that, I, I have had my eyes on Coach Minora. And I have, quite frankly, not been able to take them off of him. I will say, I did not love any of this, though. And I, let's talk about yoshida versus kai now because i think once we get to night two there's more stuff to be said about the doi and menorah aspect of things so it was confirmed in the observer that came out today that we are getting kai versus yoshida at the next cork on hall show february 4th and the winner of that will wrestle big boss shimizu at champion gate in osaka in march mike what is your vibe check on Kai versus Yoshida.
1: Oh, easy first key. Put, just put it on the belt right now.
2: It puts us, us specifically, with this podcast, with the way we re- review this company, it puts us at an incredible disadvantage because I, I you know, I, I think especially with me, just because of perhaps the more volatile circles that I was once tweeting in, it is very easy uh, for people to look at me and go, oh, well, he just loves everything that Drangate does, and he's more of a fan than a critic, and I resent that. I feel like I'm very fair about this promotion. But we are now put in a position where Takashi Yoshida and Kai could go out there and do a spot-for-spot remake of Kobashi versus Masawa from March 1, 2003, and at best, I would only be able to give it three and a half stars. If I if they have a good match,
1: <laughs> I, th- that was what I was thinking. Three and a half stars. Yeah, yeah.
2: If they have a good match, I I'm going to have to lie and say it's bad because n- first of all, people are so- going to be so turned off by that. That is going to be a Dreamgate match that people willingly skip, which is mind blowing. But. Even like they could go out there and kill it and I could write this review explaining why it was good and and how even though I came in with low expectations they not only beat them but they had a legitimately great match and no one would believe me it doesn't matter what they do if I praise a Kai versus Takashi Yoshida open the Dreamgate match people are going to think I'm lying.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Kai, I wonder if he's ever going to get that stink off him that is he's unfairly slighted for, you know? Because, yeah, I
2: mean, at this point, I'm much more open to whatever Kai's future is than Yoshida's, because even though, and look, these two, I don't even think they have great chemistry. I mean, their their matches this uh, on these two Corken shows did not light my world on fire, and that certainly makes me nervous for a future Kai versus Yoshida singles match, but... If you're watching this promotion, I think you would see by now that Kai, even though maybe he's not our pick to be the Dreamgate champion, he does carry himself like a champion. I really don't have an issue with his reign so far with the exception of who they're choosing for him to defend the belt against first.
1: Yeah, character-wise, Kai is perfect as Dreamgate champion. He comes off like the champion. It, it plays into like his sleaze lord character. The fact that he only really cares about being Dreamgate champion works as a heel especially a heel like him. It's just something that it's a hard pill to swallow. (laughs) And I mean, it even is something that they could go out there. Yoshida is, uh, I mean, storied history now with how he is sometimes in Dreamgate matches. I say sometimes because he does have some, there are some flowers that grow out of the poop that comes out of these matches to be fair, (laughs) but it's just, it's going to be a tough one, but at least like, the way I look at this title match case is that they usually have a early year title defense before they get to champion gate. Yoshida is fine for that. They like having one title match in Tokyo Cork and Hall each year. That works for this. Kai is from the Tokyo area. He draws well in Tokyo. That's fine. I, my thing is if, with and it's going to be the thing with the uh, whole uh, Mystery Vortex secret gate thing is, I hope that there's going to be some stuff on the undercard and there's going to be stuff with the unit shuffle that gets people, allows people to have something to have their teeth sink into.
2: Ultimately, it's not the end of the world. I wish it was Kai versus Kondo or Kai versus Fuji or Mochizuki or even Doi, who I think you could beat at this point, or Susumu, who was always going to be a credible challenger, but doesn't lose anything if he loses. This is the least appealing option even if it makes sense and that is a a tough position to be in where you can't get angry about it because the booking is there and to some degree it's solid but also it doesn't excite you in the slightest
1: yeah it's something that i'm I'm able to swallow this pill but this was the pill for dead or alive i would that's when i put up my stink i guess like i i i I save my ire for that uh something that I picked up on, and I haven't seen very many people comment about this. Did you see uh, how Yoshida was acting in the background when Naruki Doi was talking to Minenora? I did not please fill me in here all the while uh, like one of the great things about Takashi Yoshida is he's such a expressive personality, and all the while uh naruki doi getting frustrated that could have been nora was this like who's gonna i have to get people from my house of boys i have to get this happening and all the while takashi Yoshida has the please pick me face on (laughs) right now and he just he he did the hands up to the praying hands up there it was perfect it was perfect and you know it puts a thought in my head talking about unit shuffle stuff could the hot boys be a ruse or could they be heel hot boys and he could i mean this isn't a doi yoshi unless uh yoshi gets turned on
2: unfortunately that is very true i will save my thoughts about naruki doi and his future for the second cork and hall reveal
1: all right that's totally fair then we got to uh third from the top at the time it was called the semi-main event but it was third from the top this was a future versus veterans match the ahashi brothers shoya sato takuma fujiwara versus misaki mochizuki don fuji shuji kanda yazushi kanda and don fuji had to use the gato clutch to escape this match with a win and not dropping a fall to his current arch nemesis Shoya Sato in case this was my favorite match of both two shows. I went four and a quarter on this. I thought this was exceptional.
2: Yeah, I went three and three quarters, but I certainly do not begrudge you for that rating in the slightest. I do think this is the start of essential viewing on this show. I, you know, you could skip everything up to this point and not miss anything of importance or really anything that great. But if you're going to watch the show, this match absolutely needs to be on the list of things you watch. It is, it is so good. And it is a reminder. And I've mentioned this before on, on shows we've done before. I think I said this when we did the greatest wrestler ever podcast about the Dragon gate guys with Alan Farrell last year is Don Fuji has this weird career where I think if he wrestled in New Japan or Noah or All Japan, he would be this sneaky favorite of so many guys in the same way, and, and I love them too, of like Fuji. You know, I think Fuji's one of the 100 best wrestlers of all time, but if you put the careers of Don Fuji and Masafuchi next to each other, Fuji has to have been involved in more great matches, and of... Similar quality, because Fuji has also been in some of the greatest six-man tags of all time, just like Fuji was, but it comes into this weird thing with Dragon Gate, at least with the way people in our bubble of, you know, English-speaking fandom view it, where his career just gets lost a little bit it's not this you know revered thing that it possibly should be but watching these matches and watching what Fuji is doing for Sato right now is a great reminder of just how talented the Don Fuji actually is
1: yeah and it's something where I think Fuji is underrated and I've talked about this on the show like where I was like, I think Don Fuji really is one of the top 100 wrestlers of all time because he's able to do things like this. He's able to play comedy. like He's in one of my favorite comedy matches of all time. The one with Stalker, the, the final show at Star Lanes. That was incredible. Then he goes out here and has a four-star match based around this thing. And I think the thing that put it over the top for me, is was... The the fact that the that the rookies are figuring it out. And if you've watched them from the debut to now, this defends everything I've said about the other dojo systems. These guys have wrestled these people for like the last two months. Like, even though they're rookies and all, it it it's not a feat and logic to believe that you've wrestled these guys a lot. You're younger than them. Eventually you should at least get a handle on things. And the way that they they play this out here is fantastic. And I'll tell you this, Takuma Fujiwara is a madman, and he is going to make everything that Shuji Kondo does look like that he's being hit by a car at full speed. Because the bump he did, like, after the shoulder block, the way that he did for the original was just sick. It was gross. Case. It, it, it was like watching someone in a car wreck.
2: Yeah, you know, the Ahashi brothers, they debuted at the end of September, so we've had three full months of them, plus a little bit more. We're approaching four months for for their careers. It's easy to forget with these future guys because they've been on every show and they've been a vital part of seemingly every show since their debut, that they all debuted at the end of November. We've really seen a month and a half of their careers at this point and the, their progression is absurd it's insane you know we talked about when they debuted at gate of origin Fujiwara in his debut match against Kagatora, he was the one guy we were like well that was you know that was a good match he didn't really do anything flashy He, he certainly seemed competent but he didn't jump off the page And now the popular take, and rightfully so, because I changed my mind on it as well, is that Fujiwara is the one with the most potential out of this class because he can seemingly do anything. You look at the way Sato has progressed, and it's not like it's a night and day difference between his in-ring skill and his debut and his in-ring skill now. But the fact that he has something that he can constantly build to with Don Fuji, and now he's been able to lock Fuji in this cross-arm breaker, and it's only a matter of time before he gets him to tap out— It's all so great. These kids are progressing so fast, and they've all, and I will lump Fuda into this group, although I do think he's in last place at this point. They have all acclimated themselves to the roster so quickly and so well that now it's hard to imagine a show where these kids aren't going to be on it, and for a month and a half into their careers, that is just a remarkable feat.
1: Yeah, and Case we got the Alcatraz tease that you've been clamoring for since September. (laughs) Like I thought that it bought, I bought into the Alcatraz. Finally, I finally bought into that as, as a potential finish.
2: Yeah. Those kids, I uh, Ricky Hashi is just something else. And, and Ishan is right there and you're, you're, you're much more into or I guess not much more, but you're more into Ishan than I am. I'm a Ricky guy myself, but Oh my god, both of those guys are just absolutely ridiculous and I I can't wait to see what their next step is once they start getting some wins under their belt.
1: Yeah, and I th- I guess that's something for like the February Cork and Hall show that will be headlined by Kai versus Yoshida. The fact that I know that there's going to at least be one or two futures matches that does a long way with me feeling comfortable here. Oh, God,
2: yeah. I mean, think about, you know, how dry some of these Kyoto shows or, you know, these Fukuoka double shots would be if these kids weren't on the show now. That's what I was saying. You know, they've become a vital part of this roster so quickly, but they feel like they're family already. They feel like they have to be on these shows in the same way that a Horiguchi or a KZ or a Skywalker and Eita does. I mean, obviously, they're not on the same level of star power, but in terms of what I look forward to, they are on the list
1: yeah it, it it it's really so much fun and you know it, they have their intake for the class of 2022 so the cycle begins anew we'll see if we'll get another six for six this time i don't know if that like this is a once in a generation class coming through but be they, to they were
2: advertising their dojo on that second cork and hall show somebody that was watching the japan feed noted that they are now currently accepting applicants for the class of 2022 so it never stops with them it never stops
1: sadly it's worth pointing out that at this time you have to be living in japan to do this so because i i've had people like ask me it's like how do you join the dragon gate dojo <laughs> and i'm like well it, there's some emails you could send but like right now you know you, you, covid man covid
2: I, I used to be able to tell them i don't know talk to larry dallas and then i don't know what that conversation looked like but it always entertained me thinking about what it could possibly be now it's now i can't even do that
1: should we get into the most important 45 minutes of Dragon Gate's last three years with the exception of Masato Yoshino's retirement? Yes. All right. So the supposed main event of the show on the 12th was the Open the Triangle Gate Championship match where it was R.E.D. This was a rematch of last month's Gorkin. R.E.D. going back for the belt against the Fractured, uh, the, the fractured Masquerade team. Uh, they would win the match. So for a bit... R.E.D. held every single belt in the promotion. And we had multiple double champions. As Hyo won with the Aneko Damashi on Shun Skywalker after Kodaman Noor turned on him and attacked him with a box attack. So should we just talk about the match itself and then get into everything else? Or should we just take this as a whole?
2: Let's talk about this first. Let's go step by step here.
1: All right. So this was... One of those things that where the uh, Mystery Vortex lineup worked out perfectly for this. I I really enjoyed this. I, I was four flat on this. I thought that this was just a tremendous piece of storytelling. I know that for you, you elected to go three and a half stars on this. I just really thought that they played up the character stuff. The work was great, as it's always been, with Masquerade versus R.E.D. And the finishing stretch was just tremendous. And I really really thoroughly enjoyed this especially as like a breakup match like this was a fantastic breakup match
2: yeah there's so much little stuff so many little things i guess would be the proper way to say that there's so many little things they did in this match that i really enjoyed there was one spot in particular that i'm gonna say it and it's not gonna come across as revolutionary to anybody but you know we've watched a lot of wrestling and especially in American wrestling, we've seen a lot of big turns and swerves, and a lot of them fall short. They're hollow, and it, it just doesn't make any sense after the initial shock value is over. But there was one spot here that I thought just summarized this entire situation, especially on the RED side between Hyo and then Ata and Ishida, where Shun Skywalker and Ishida are in the ring and Skywalker gets whipped off the ropes, and Hyo was on the outside, and he grabs Skywalker's ankles. But because he grabs Skywalker's ankles and slows him down, which is the normal heel move, and you would normally see that, and it would lead to the guy in the ring being able to hit his offense in an easier way. He did that, and Ashita wasn't expecting it. So Shun hits the ropes, Hyo grabs his ankles and slows him down, but it forces Ashida to miss a middle kick in the middle of the ring. And that is such a small thing. And hopefully I was able to paint a picture in a way where that makes sense. Because I saw that spot and it just blew my mind. That was such a creative thing to do to show that Hyo and Ashida and Eita are just not on the same page. Because even when Hyo tries to help it ends up hurting his teammates, and I just loved that. That was one of the many things in this match on top of, and we saw this a little bit in Kyoto and Osaka as well, where Shun is teaming with these guys, and they just want no part of him. They will get in the ring if Shun rolls to the floor, but if Shun tries to tag them in, they try to avoid the tag. It's just stuff like that that, you know, maybe explaining it, Isn't the most mind-blowing thing, but I just don't think you see that level of detail and care in most wrestling. And step-by-step here, from the entrances in this match through the go-home promo of the next segment, this is like a five-star hour of wrestling if you all build it into one package. What they did here, they didn't miss a beat. Every detail was accounted for. It was all just so good.
1: And it's something that it felt organic and earned. It felt like that everything over the last six months built to this. Really, everything since the unit must disband match from last year kind of built to this in a way. And it's something that everyone in this match, and especially someone like Kyo, who really only made that step forward really it was the Hokkaido after uh, Kobe World last year was when he started putting together the uh, Big Brain Act and then it really kind of blossomed this year. This, in a way, you look at this match and with the exception of Ata, no one in this match is over the age of 26. And they that's were insane. able...
2: That's insane. That is... Yeah. Now, well, is, how old's Jason Lee?
1: Oh, for God. Jason, I think, is 28. So, Jason, I apologize.
2: Oh, my God. But that's still... That is just... And saying Jason Lee was born in 92. So he just turned 29.
1: Yeah. So 29. So he's the oh same age of Aita. Oh my
2: God. Oh my God. This company is, this company is loaded. It's unbelievable.
1: It, it, it's insane. But like the fact that you had these guys in there, and with the exception of ATA, I, I can make this work now. With the exception of ATA, no one in this match has been around for longer than five years in the promotion. That's a remarkable case that they were able to pull this off, and then, and then that went into the next 45 minutes. And it just was tremendous stuff.
2: It was such a satisfying thing to see where, you know, just to perhaps if there's newer listeners that don't know exactly how all of this started, Hyo turned heel in 2019. He was unhappy with the inclusion of Kaisuke Okuda into the Mochizuki Dojo. He started acting out. He turned heel, but even then it wasn't until November of 2020 that delayed Kobe world in which he won a battle royal that set up the opportunity for him to choose any match that he wanted in the company. And it led to the R.E.D. versus Toriyama unit disbands match and, and that came out obviously as a positive for R.E.D. They won the match. And ever since then, you know, we call him the biggest brain in professional wrestling. He's gotten, you know, a crazy idea after crazy idea after crazy idea. And unfortunately for his unit, that has almost cost them a number of times. And Aita and Ishida have grown increasingly more uncomfortable and unsatisfied with him calling the shots of this unit. And that is what led to the friction of these guys in R.E.D., Obviously, if you've paid attention to the promotion at all in the past two months, we saw Skywalker interject himself into the Dragon Dia versus Dia Inferno feud. We saw him intentionally cost Dragon Dia his mask. And then we have seen his very fast descent into madness over the past month and a half. So that story is a little bit shorter, but nonetheless, equally as satisfying as the slow burn we've seen with R.E.D.
1: Yeah, so... It just was something that it came across like this felt like classic Dragon Gate. Like this was classic dra- Dragon Gate in twenty twenty two. Jay bring up on commentary, like, but like Jason didn't seem so good about this, and also bring up the point that Hio was the only person who made like a positive comment about anything the has done lately. Really added a nice layer to this match, especially what would happen afterwards.
2: Yeah, and the post match promo that was that was something that I loved was. You know, Hyo and Shoon get on the mic, and, and right before Shoon turns, you know, Hyo looks at him and he says, hey, we're of the same class. We're the class of 2016. I know you better than anybody else. Why are we not teaming with one another? And it's just another one of those small things, you know, on the surface— Is it a big deal that we know exactly why Shun turned on his team? No, it's not. But to have that little extra layer of, oh, yeah, these guys go back to the dojo. These guys debuted together. These guys have the same last name in in their real lives. You know, Shun debuted as Shun Watanabe. Hyo debuted as Hyo Watanabe. It just all just adds up into this beautiful thing. And then we saw the Shun turn and by proxy the double turn with Eita Nishida, which I will let you explain now.
1: So, immediately in the post-match, uh, Shun demanded an apology. Minora would not apologize. Shun, at this point, snapped. Like, I, I, I'm not being... I'm not exaggerating here. He he snapped. Uh, Hio calmed him down, as you are talking about, saying, why don't you team with me? And then and then Eita and Ishida were like, you don't have that authority. is the leader of R.E.D. And they all thought about this for a second. And then... R.E.D. and Shun Skywalker all turned on Eita and Ishida, left them laying. Shun has joined R.E.D. R.E.D. has ejected their leader, Eita, and kind of the number two, I would say Kaido Ishida was at least a storyline, number two in recent years of R.E.D. as well. That begins unit shift season, started at that moment, and then as things were getting completely out of control, GM Rio Saito came out saying, hey, Hey, settle down, kids. You know, someone here has not had a match. This show is not over. SB Kento, you have a match right now. And SB Kento tried to beg off, but then the uh, fanfare for a title match played. Then he got furious, and SB Kento said, like, who am I going to face up against? And, and I was like, oh, I have the guy you're going to come out who's going to uh, face you. And then Dragon Dia's theme hit.
2: This was all insane and this is one of those deals where you know I wasn't able to watch the show live because I was at work but I was following along on Twitter and trying to trying to figure out what happened during this segment when I wasn't watching it was an impossible task. I So many things were happening, so many things were being tweeted, I couldn't keep up with any of it, but all I know is that all of a sudden I refreshed Twitter and Dragon Daya is rolling through Cork and Hall on a skateboard, and all of a sudden I had more questions at that moment in my entire life than any other time before.
1: Just was, he came off like an absolute star case, like Daya's, like we were like, all right, this kid is good looking, and yes we know like we kind of joke about that, but that is important for this promotion, is having this happen and i try to think who had this tweet uh when this happened case that i lost my mind it was the the new was that a room that had this tweet the new four pillars i i have not seen this tweet all right i i'm going to scroll down and get this tweet it, it was perfect in every every way yeah it was a room uh it was ginky or gucci with a surfboard don fuji stealing <laughs> uh rio saito's bicycle m2k with the scooters and then Dragon and with his skateboard the four pillars <laughs> <laughs> look
2: i love dragon dia i love the idea of this character as someone that loves skateboarding and and you know was very interested and, and active in skateboarding growing up this man does not look comfortable on a skateboard and i am I, he needs to go out with jay and he needs to hit the streets and get a little more comfortable there because everything about this was really cool with the exception of him
1: actually riding
2: the skateboard. <laughs> that made me nervous. He it was not a natural. They need to do a few more dry runs of him on the skateboard.
1: Case, you know I'm a sucker for shoulder content.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the, the future class playing soccer against Ben K. and It is going to be Jay and Dragon Daya skateboarding in the streets
1: of Tokyo. Gaura, my DMs are open we have ideas for, for this and many many other things we have ideas <laughs> but but he, it, it's something that like i think a lot of people miss like with japanese wrestling right now and dragon gate has done such a good job of this this got a shocked gasp from the crowd the crowd went nuts for this like ignoring <laughs> restrictions for diet coming out here and he felt like a star if much more so than when he lost his mask. Like we thought that he would be coming back and looking strong. He had built an angles here. No, he is a capital S star now.
2: Yeah. I, I want to phrase this carefully because I'm not attacking one specific thing. And certainly I'm not even thinking about any specific person and their takes. I, I I mean that I am really, this is a very general statement, but throughout the course of two years of COVID wrestling, a number of things have happened in different promotions all across the landscape. And when they're not met with very obvious applause, there's sort of these mental hoops that people have jumped through of, oh, well, you know, it would have gotten over had fans been able to cheer, or would have gotten booze had fans been able to cheer this or that or this or that. But there's been one constant throughout these two years now, which is that Dragon has had a number of moments that have caused people to break protocol. And even more important than that, they've had a number of moments where undeniably you can tell that something is big and that either a star is being born or a star is evolving. And this is one of those moments where, you know, of course it would be great if you had 1,800 people in Cork and Hall and they were all screaming, because I do believe if that was the reality, that is what would happen. This building, under no restrictions, would be losing their ever-loving minds. But even in the environment we got, there's no question that Dragon Dio was over to an absurd degree and that this resonated with people. And I have become so tired of seeing people jump through hoops of, oh, well, if it wasn't COVID, it would have been this. Or if it wasn't COVID, people would have done that. Trangate has had multiple moments, whether it's the Unit Disbands match, or Ato versus Doi for the Dreamgate belt, or SB Kento versus JFK this year, where you know you are watching something historically significant, COVID restrictions be damned, and this was another one of those moments. And, and you know, obviously I watched this promotion closer than any other, but I, I certainly have my eyes on every relevant promotion in Japan, which means not all Japan, but everywhere else pretty much. And I just don't feel like any other promotion over the last two years has been able to have as many moments as Dragon Gate has had.
1: Yeah, and after this Brave Gate title run, I did not say, uh, we have a new Open the Brave Gate champion. It is Dragon Daya. He won in 90 seconds with the Reptilian. Like, after the run that SB Kento had, this is the right person to, to hand the torch off to. Like in the way that SP Kento's tile run was like, oh, he'll defend anywhere. He'll go to the small towns and beat their hometown hero, and he will look like an absolute star. That added to Daya winning this match here, and it added to the finish where Yuki Yoshioka came out in the Inferno garb. Hio is trying to bail out his tag team partner. Instead, Inferno powder attacked Hio. Hio takes a great powder attack just as an aside. Like, he's really good about he's not afraid about getting powder in his face. And then we got the Rotelian one, two, three, and Yoshioka and Daya stood proud at the end of the show and challenged for the Twin Gates for the next night. So, I mean, it worked out perfectly. I mean, SB Kento had a legacy-defining Brave Gate run, and with all that cachet, that's handed off to Daya, who's now looking like one of the bigger stars in the company.
2: This is a rare situation where I think SB Kento can lose upward and it's not going to hurt him, this is exactly, you're, you're exactly right, this is the perfect situation for him to lose, because he doesn't lose anything in terms of his aura, or his credibility, or his star power, this was a car crash, uh, the the way I saw it described by a few people was, you know, this whole deal was like if the Attitude Era was actually good, and this is one of those deals where SP Kento, you know, you could tell me that in April or May now he's going to challenge for the Dreamgate belt, and I wouldn't go, but 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 he lost his Bravegate belt earlier, you know, how is this going to work? It's like, no, this was a very logical way for him to lose the title, and it didn't hurt him at all. If there's one logic flaw in this entire thing, it's that Yoshioka came out in the Die Inferno costume, which... It, it, it made no sense but it was also super cool and sometimes that's the only explanation that's worth giving
1: i mean wrestling is about doing cool stuff and looking like a badass
2: yeah this is this is exactly and it. it's like well he unmasked last month and made it very clear who he was why he came back out in that costume only to unveil himself again i don't know but it was sick as hell and that's what matters
1: absolutely and that was the January 12th, 2022 in case.
2: Yeah, so uh, the last three matches on this show, the veterans versus rookie tag, the Triangle Gate match, which bleeds into the double turn with Shun for the first time in his career turning heel. Ata and Ishida going back its baby faces, or so we thought, as we'll talk about in just a second for the first time in years. And then the Daya return into the Bravegate match with SB Kento versus Dragon Daya. That is all essential viewing. That is all on the Dragon Gate network and will be until January 19th with English commentary. If you have not seen it yet, you have to go see it.
1: Absolutely. And that naturally leads us to the show they had the next night. Uh, this will be up on the network until the 20th. Opened off. With the, uh, not, with the uh, Open the Twin Gate Championship match, Hio and SB Kento, the defenses or the champions fail in their first defense. Daya and Yoshioka become the 56th Open the Twin Gate champions when Yuki Yoshioka pens SB Kento with the frog splash.
2: This was a great opener. We talked at the start of the show about how Yuki Yoshioka looks like a god now. I mean, he wore this heavy, full body suit for over a year and we finally get to see him without a shirt on, and he is maybe in the best shape in the company now. It's just, it's so ridiculous how this all worked out. But this was a, a super fun match. It's really cool to see both Daya and Yoshioka back in the fold.
1: Yeah, my, my only bummer about this match is I like sbk and Hios as a tag team like i thought that there was some juice in this but it's very clear uh what we're putting the uh, what they're putting the momentum behind right now uh Daya and yoshioka though they look great together and uh Daya, great at being the babyface and in peril, getting the big hot tag for yoshioka to come in and clean up and the four, and the 450 into the frog splash which was nearly across the ring that yoshioka did was phenomenal
2: yeah, Yoshioka will be a Dreamgate champion at some point and I right around the time that he left for his excursion I really got behind that idea and I I said you know if everything goes well this is somebody who will come back and be a top of the line star because it certainly looked like he was heading in that direction before he left for Mexico I I don't know if he lost stock under the Die Inferno hood. I think just because he was presented as a different person, it doesn't ultimately matter. But, you know, there's an entire crop of fans now. I mean, we talked to a lot of people that became fans of Drangate in 2020 that might not realize how good this guy is. And I think this is a great way to bring him back into the fold. And from here, it's onwards and upwards. Again, he is someone who... Do I think he's going to be Kai for the belt? No, but do I think three or four years from now he'll have held the dreamgate championship? i do i, I really think he's that talented, and with this look, it is only a matter of time
1: yeah i I before he we went on excursion i I thought that the wrestler on the roster he'd ended up most like was Susumi Yokosuka. you know like like he was the most solidly consistent uh worker out of the class of 2016 like you had hyo who was figuring out shun skywalker that he never really missed but there sometimes it was not it was kind of creaky minora was so young okuda was getting used to it Benkei uh was not uh, in the class of 2016 had a different path but now you, you know like the dreamgate uh comp i i don't think that's unfair I I, I kind of saw him as like a tag team worker, Susumi Yokosuka, not necessarily two-time Dreamgate champion, uh, Susumi Yokosuka, but that might be the world that he lives in now.
2: Let let me ask you a question about Dragon Daya because when he unmasked, I just assumed that when we saw him again, he would be introducing himself under a new name and that didn't happen. And not only did that not happen, he now has Dragon Daya painted on a skateboard, which as we know, is the most permanent relationship you can have, is the name of uh, a skate a name on a skateboard. I would like to see him change his name. I don't like the, the Dragon dia thing lingering with him. To me, that is a masked character, and he needs to undergo a name change for me to fully let all of this sink in. Am I overreacting to this? Is there legit- legitimacy to that? Where do you stand on his name?
1: I initially was like, yeah, he has to change his name. But because he's a dragon, they're going to keep with it. And I understand that. But it, it it's something, though, it does go against lucha tradition. Like, he should have had to given his name, his hometown, and how many years he wrestled. And we never got that. And it would do like this. Maybe they think that him as Dragon Daya has enough cachet to continue afterwards versus him and his real name. Or whatever wrestling name he decides to take wouldn't. Maybe that's a justification with that. But it, it it's something I'm not firmly set on, I think, the more I talk about it.
2: I I would really like to see a name change at some point. I I don't I don't care what it is too. I mean, obviously you could never predict a name change of this company because there's a guy in this company named Jackie Funky Kamei who was funky Jackie Kamei and they somehow changed that. So I, I, I don't know what it could be, but I do think a change is necessary at some point.
1: It'll be interesting to see because I, I don't know if going Dragon Dia works long term as like a perennial like Dreamgate Challenger, whereas him and his real name might. You know, I think that's kind of the thing is what really is his new ceiling. Yeah, that's fair. After that, we had uh, Kaito Ishida defeating Takumi Hayakawa in forty seconds with the ankle lock. He was accompanied. Uh, Ishida was accompanied by Aita. They made a big point that they are real RED. They're true RED. And Hayakawa gets run over right at, j- just once again.
2: Yeah, this was super fun. I will save my thoughts for Ata and Ashita's future for just a moment when we get to the ATA match. But yeah, this was this was a, a brutal mauling and it was very enjoyable to watch.
1: Yeah, you know, it was a fun 40 seconds. Uh match three, uh, UT and Jackie Funky Kame. Oh, I got the name wrong in it. We were just talking about nonsensical name reviews, n- name changes, and I just realized in my review I sort of referred to him as funky Jackie Kame and not JFK. But it was Young Vibes versus Strong Machine J and Kanichiro Arai. Kamei penned Arai with the Torbellino Crucifix. And this is going to be a weird time for Strong Machine J case, won't it?
2: Oh, boy. I mean, talk about somebody who has just fallen behind. And it's. It's a bummer because I, I've shared a few of them. I know I, sh- I shared the Konamama Ichikawa one on the Open the Voice Gate Twitter, but there's been some daily articles in some online newspaper about Gate recently just you know, explaining who Ultimo Dragon is, explaining who Stalker Ichikawa is, explaining who Jason Lee is, explaining some of the bas- backstage figures in this company. And one of them was about Strong Machine J. And the hardships that he's been through, and his, his mother passing away from leukemia, and all of these things, and it really baby faced Strong Machine J with me because I've been a pretty vocal critic of him in the past. But you watch him in this environment, and he it's not that he's bad, but he just doesn't fit in right now.
1: He's just the exact same person he was the day he debuted.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no no upward trajectory there, which is funny because like this is this is your kind of match. It's UT and Kameh and Araken who are three of your guys, and I liked this match way more than you did. In your review, you went two and three quarters. I went three and a half on this
1: match. Okay, so sell me on this, because for me, I felt like that uh strong machine J just stuck out so much here and even though like I like the chemistry that Jay and Rai have, it just kind of in a way just like felt, I I couldn't get over the SMJ hump in this match personally.
2: So to me, this was completely on the backs of this natural vibes team, this JFK and UT combination. And it speaks to just how talented they are and specifically the strides that Kamei has made because, You know, we both like Arkin, but at this point in his career, he certainly has a ceiling, and Strong Machine J is a guy who is capable of having great matches if he's in there with the right guys, but he is not someone by any means that can lead a match at this point in his career but I thought this was a match that flowed really well. I thought everything was really fluid. I thought the grappling in this match, which is something that Arkan is like a sneaky good grappler in my opinion, I thought the grappling in this match was super intriguing. And I just loved that if you think back in time, Mike, think back to last June, there was a match on that Cork and Hall show June 3rd. It was Kameh and Gamma versus Araken and Rio Saito, and that was Kame's first match as a member of Natural Vibes in Cork and Hall. He had just returned from injury, and that match was a mess. That was a bad match, and we both came on here and talked about how we were really worried about Kameh and whether or not, you know, because of that injury, if he was going to be able to wrestle his same style, you know, what does he look like in Natural Vibes? Was it all just a stroke of luck his rookie year, and now he wasn't going to be any good? And you see six months later, like, oh, no, this guy can actually carry a match with two guys at this point far below his level. And he can make it into something that to me is entirely worth watching. Again, three and a half star little tag match just because of the physicality on display and the way they work this. I I don't know. I just love this match.
1: It's something where I should because you're absolutely right. This does have three of my guys in here. I should be the one defending the match to you, but I just couldn't get past that like it, it, and it's something that's a real shame because i like strong machine j he just he's a he's like mired in cement and if it sticks out now it really does especially against someone like kamei who is two years his junior really like coming off like a star in smj he feels like a veteran he feels like he should be doing these matches with misaki mochizuki and don fuji and suji kondo like that's what it kind of feels like with them
2: I thought UT and Kamei were so good in this match. This is, you know, one of those deals where they talk about how Flair could have wrestled a broomstick and had a four-star match. UT and Kamei could have wrestled two broomsticks, and I, I think I still would have given it three and a half. This wasn't anything that Ark and her Strong Machine J really brought to the table, but I thought the Natural Vibes duo was just so good in this match that it, was, it completely suckered me in.
1: After that, we had a... High end in Ultimo Dragon versus veterans. It was Dragon Kid, Binkei, Kesuke Akuda, and Kagatura in Ultimo Dragon. Defeating Misaki Mochizuki, Don Fuji, Shuji Kondo, Yazushi Kanda and Gamma when Binke pinned uh, Konda with a spear. This was the record league match as I put it in the review. This was, let, let's get some, let's get some exercise because we just had a very heavy meal.
2: I liked... That they gave so much focus to Ben K in this match because you know Ben is someone who I, I I've told people in the past, hey, relax, Ben K is going to be okay. You know, I I think a lot of fans, including ourselves, got really wrapped up in the narrative of him beating Pac, and I really thought he would be a guy who would carry this promotion into the future. That has not seemed to work out, but he is a an upper mid card slash main event tier star he is a b and you know the the tier of players if yamato and doi and Atar in the a tier it was nice seeing him get so much focus in this match and look so dominant because you have to think kai is going to beat yoshida and if he beat shimizu it does seem like ben k versus kai would be a natural direction they would go so if they can heat him up for that now i am going to be very much in favor of that match when it eventually happens
1: yeah, I, I think that, that those two just mesh incredibly well, especially with uh, Dreamgate champion Kai. I think that, that 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 is something that you could easily pull the trigger for a quick Memorial Gate defense if you need it.
2: Yeah, that's a good. Well, okay. Yeah, so it doesn't look like the Dreamgate title is going to be defended at Memorial Gate this year if they're going from the, oh, that's early, right. yeah, the early February defense to the winner of that goes into Champion Gate as the that's right. challenger. But. Dead or alive could be Ben K versus Kai.
1: Yeah, it could be Ben K versus Kai. We could get our tri Let's Be Dragon Kid in His Hometown match there too. But I, I like Ben K and Kai more than Kai versus Dragon Kid. So let's go with that. That's the high end member I want at that. If my whole idea isn't right, I'm into it. All right. And then after that, we had a Natural Vibes and Gurken Mask wo- team. Defeating Masquerades, Jason, Lee, and La Estrella, along with Takuma Fujiwara. Shimizu squished Fuji, uh, Fujiwara with the aided Big Boss Press. And I... If you have a match where you have uh, the Big Boss and the Big Boss of Okinawa and you get uh, Gherkin Mask to join in to Party Anthem, I'm going to have a great time. I thought that this was awesome and I... It, Fujiwara is someone to seeing getting a chance to see him wrestle against like this, like, group of guys really shows the uh, potential in him.
2: All I could think watching this match was you know, this podcast certainly has its guys we like and the guys we champion, and watching. Gurk had mask wrestle Jason Lee. I realized just how open the voice gate core this match was. This was one for the real heads. This was one for all of our fans. These are two guys we put over more than any other podcast, and I'm so glad this match got to happen. It was so enjoyable.
1: <laughs> it it was truly sick. Uh, in the post-match, Susumu called out Kness, and that brought out GM Rio Saito, who set up the retirement celebrations for Kness. So The deal with Kness is that they've that he can wrestle one more match, but they, with his health, that he's not gonna be able to do a full retirement tour where like they will go back to his old gimmicks, but they're still gonna incorporate them. So in February, he will be back as Darkness Dragon, managing a company, the original M2K. So that's Mochizuki, Susumu, and Kanda. So that will be, all, so that is actually something set up for the February Korikan, And then on the March Korikan, the first time ever we get a Jimmy's Revival.
2: Yeah, that's going to be sick. I'm looking forward to both of those things. Yeah, if you, it, I, I've mentioned this on the show uh, somewhat recently. When Kness announced his retirement, I threw this out there, but I get the impression we're going to get more ears on this show than normal. If you are a Dragon Gate Network subscriber, go to Dangerous Gate 2015, watch the Jimmy's versus Mad Blanky unit disbands match, and the finish, which Kness plays a part in, is one of the loudest pops I have ever heard in Dragon Gate.
1: Yeah, it was insane. Oda City Gymnasium was just on fire. There, it, it's definitely on like on a required viewing list. Uh, next match, KZ and the Hashi brothers defeated Yamato Shoyasato and Ryofuda. So Ryofuda, okay, enough to wrestle the next day. KZ pinned Fuda with a running elbow smash, and now the Hashi brothers get. They're managing to get wins. Case, I know you're you're really wanting that. Time that Ricky has Alcatraz in and gets the uh, direct fall, but they're starting to like stack up a couple of wins, even if they're not directly involved in the fall.
2: Yeah, this match was sick as hell. I I really liked the chemistry that Casey and Fuda had. Obviously, anytime Yamato and KZ get in the ring, that's going to be an element for success. And then you had the Ahashi brothers really battling it out with Sato here, which I thought was an interesting dynamic that big chop battle between Ricky and Sato. It was really exciting to me. Six guys I'm just really into at the moment. Even I'll I'll throw Yamato in the mix just because this was something new for Yamato. We don't typically see him team with these youngsters, with these rookies. He's normally off doing his own thing in some sort of prolonged feud. This was Yamato having fun, and that's the Yamato that I like. So I was really into this.
1: Yeah, this was a blast, especially Fuda and KZ like. Like, Fudo right now is ranked sixth, but he does have potential there. Like, and it's nice to see him immediately get back at it. Uh, Riki and Yamato, like, that is something that was really a whole lot of fun here. And it was a nice thing, like, at least in my mind, there might still be a giant six-on-six match. But I felt like them stomping the shit out of Don Fuji after Don Fuji decided he was going to try to get more... Get out of the rookies after winning that match the night before it felt like that this is actually like not necessarily the big step two that you talk about but this is like just inching forward being able to wrestle with like more featured wrestlers on the roster and i and, and they equated themselves quite well there
2: yeah we we have yet to see again with the exception of that fuda versus akuda match which had a number of things going against it any any combination of veterans that these guys have been put in the ring with, obviously there's that easy sort of match structure to feed off of when it's Mochizuki and Kanda and Kondo and Fuji. But even when you put them in there with the Kagatoras and the KZs and the Horigushis and the Susumus, like this class has not missed a step yet. And it's it's remarkable to see. I mean, at some point. You know, they're going to, these guys are going to falter. And we saw it with Fuda. We'll see it with Sato and with Fujiwara and with Hayakawa. But for the most part, it has just not happened yet, which is an awesome thing to say.
1: Yeah. And it's something that's going to be a really fun thing to watch as we go into February. Uh, after that, we had semi-main event. It was Ata and Yosuke San Maria. They went to a no contest as R.E.D. attacked all three of them. As Ada was rearing back for Imperial Uno after he hit a low blow, R.E.D. Uh, e. was able to pretty much take care of True R.E.D. there. But then Maria came to Ada's defense. Ada is her first true love. She That is her one true pair. Uh, and slapped on every member of R.E.D., but Ada was just not interested and stormed out.
2: So you're probably more equipped to do this than I am. For newer viewers that missed the Millennials, because that was, you know, they they ended at this point six years ago. Can you briefly, and if you can, that's okay, but can you briefly fill in listeners on the Ata maria relationship?
1: All right. So both of them, if they're not from the same year's class, they are complimentary. They're in the same era. But Ata, along with T-Hawk and Lindeman, went to Mexico for an excursion in 2013 they came back as millennials, and the gimmick by millennials is that they were obviously Lucha inspired, going to their excursion. But more importantly, they were out to war against anyone who was born before 1990. So that's what that's what being a millennial is in Dragon Gate. Uh, case I'm not a millennial. I am either a Boomer or a Gen Xer because uh, I'm born before 1990. So soon after, uh, the wrestler now known as Yosuke San Maria was under other gimmicks and became uh, and was Super Shenlong 3, which Shenlong is a character that doesn't exist anymore in Dragon Gate. There's been two other Super Shenlongs. One of them was Shinobu. The other one is the wrestler now known as Problem Dragon. And Shenlong lost a mask match. I think that was like the unit must disband. Loser loses their mask or hair match. The Akatsuki versus... uh, Mad Blanky won, I think. Yes,
2: that that was the Akoski versus Mad Blanky unit disbands two-count versus three-count rules match where it was a handicap match, too, where Akoski only needed a two-count to win and Mad Blanky obviously needed the three-count. One of the greatest matches in the history of Dragon Gate.
1: Yeah, so then uh, Shenlong 3 started to be called, and this was the entire ring name, the former Super Shenlong 3, Yosuke Wanabe. That was the unmasked Yosuke gimmick up until Millennials happened. Uh, Yosuke caught a look at Eita, discovered her true self, became Yosuke San Maria. And all the boy craziness about Yosuke San Maria and that facet of the character comes from the love of Eita. And she's tired of seeing Eita beat down, and she's going to try to get back her man, basically. I think that's a fair way of putting it.
2: Yes. No. One hundred percent. Well done. I'm glad you did that and not me. I, you know, we, we can talk a little bit about where we think certain guys are going to go because I know we have differing opinions on at least one member of the roster and their future. But I will say, on a personal level, as a fan of this promotion, Eita and Ashita going face is the most exciting thing imaginable. I, I have been a a very vocal critic of Eita and oddly enough, a very uh, big supporter of Ashita since they've both been in R.E.D., but I think this is the right move for both of them. I think this is going to be huge, and I think Maria is going to turn them face, and it's going to be a beautiful thing, Mike.
1: Yeah, it, it's something where, like, I think that the that having Maria, and I do think that this is going to be the uh, nucleus of a new unit going forward. I I think that it just works. I think Eita is someone who is ready for that face turn. Ashita maybe has a little bit had a little bit more tread on the heel tire but i think it's important because like ashita was getting huge face responses before he was the christmas surprise
2: yes that that is because he turned heel at the end of 2019 which then quickly led into generational warfare which then quickly led into covid which then led into the uh, breakneck schedule of 2020 it's it's easy to get lost in the shuffle that his 2019 once he joined maximum he was teaming with dragon kid and he was teaming with naruki doi and he was teaming with jason lee and we were losing our minds at this guy who i always liked ashita yamamura and him graduated from the dojo at the same time all eyes were on yamamura if he wouldn't have gotten an he would have been you know maybe the biggest star in this company but I was always an Ashida guy. I just liked the way he moved around the ring and he went from being a high flyer to, as it says in his entrance theme, just a kick boy. And while we certainly have seen the results of that as a heel of him as this brooding, vicious, brutal kind of guy, on the flip side, he can be a fiery, energetic babyface who does that same offense. And that is a winning formula that we've now seen, even if just because of. Of when that run happened and then when he turned, it seems like that face turn was many, many moons ago, when in reality it wasn't. And we know it can be a successful run again.
1: Yeah. And it's going to be interesting because he had that near year long run as Bravegate champion as a heel. And I yeah. don't know, yeah, because he he
2: won, he won the belt from Susumu in November of 2019 as a face, right. and then a month later turned heel, and then he had that great match with Jason Lee at final Gate. that was kind of his first big match as a heel, so yeah, that entire run really was uh, under the RED guys.
1: Yeah, and it was a big deal because he won the Brave Gate in Osaka. He's a hometown Osaka guy, and that's another reason why he was probably getting his first Dream Gate match at Champion Gate because it was also in Osaka. They love making sure the hometown guys get beat but also gets people to the shows. But uh, it, it it's going to be interesting because Ishida worked really well as a heel number two, but with the way that this unit shuffle looks right now, I'm just going to pull up my spreadsheet, and the people that I think are realistic uh, add-ons to that face unit, unless somehow this gets merged with the House of Boys, or if they pull Misaki Mochizuki or dragon kid decides to forgive Ata and turn on high end it's i don't want i don't think it's a weak unit because Ata is such a big star in the company but those three that that's a rough core to start with you you've got some slots to fill out
2: um i think you're underestimating the value of ashita a little bit i also think masquerade is going to come to an end and they're probably going to get jason lee i think of the three that, that are left. Things that changes things yeah i you know there was a lot of talk in the discord today about well where's jason lee gonna go it's like i I, wherever like it doesn't matter he's gonna be able to fit into any unit now i don't think there's an opening at high end i don't think there's an opening in natural vibes so that sort of leads him to whatever the new babyface unit is and as long as you know they don't have some outrageous gimmick that for some reason he wouldn't be able to do no, he can slide in anywhere. Like he'll be fine. I'm not worried about him in the future at all. So I see this as Ata, Ashita, Maria, Jason Lee, and somebody else. And and like I've said on this podcast before, you know, when we when Mike and I in October we did an episode where we kind of built our ideal units for the future going forward. And my big thing was I want a, a babyface Ata. Mike, let me read you some of the matches on the last card. When Ato was a babyface, okay. This was November. Okay. This was November eighth, twenty seventeen, Gate of Evolution in Corken Hall. This is where he turned heel in the main event and mercifully ended Over Generation. But here are some of the matches on the show just to show you the amount of time that has passed and how much this company has changed since Ato was leading the heel unit. The dark match, match zero, not televised on this show. Punch Tamanaga defeated Kaito Ishida. Match number two. Or I'm sorry, this was actually the opening match. This was match number one. And this one, I'm just reading for your sake as you'll pop for it. Don Fuji, Mandai Ryu, and Mysterioso Jr. Oh, defeated. <laughs> Mike, they defeated Katoka, Shun Skywalker, in UT. Match number two on this show. And pay attention to the win and the loss here. Gamma and Kness defeated Big R Shimizu in Kagatora. There was also a six-man tag on the show. Yoshino Doi and Horaguchi defeated BB Hulk, Yosuke Santamaria, and Jason Lee. This was a pre-Maximum era Jason Lee on this show. And then the final two matches, Shima and Ricochet in his Dragon Gate Farewell Shima and Ricochet versus KZ and Yamato. And then the main event, Berserk versus Overgeneration, which wasn't even Overgeneration. It was Lindemann, Shingo, T-Hawk. So those three guys out of the company, Yoshida and Konda, against Dragon Kid, Ata, Mochizuki, Rio Saito, and Susumo. So this was actually a month after the unit disbands match, uh, where Overgeneration, again, mercifully ended. But this was a hodgepodge of legends and Ata where Aita ended up turning on Dragon Kid. That really kickstarted that feud. But a show with Kaito Ishida losing the Dark Match, Mysterioso Jr. on the winning side over Shun Skywalker, Gamma and Kness beating Bigar Shimizu, a pre-Maximum Era Jason Lee, and Ricochet's Farewell. That was the last time Aita was a babyface.
1: So over still existed at this time, Case. Overgeneration oh, didn't disband it? until after after everyone left like the disbands match was like punch somonaga and gamma and uh kaido Ishida <laughs> and dragon kid
2: look we're we we have not forgotten about it we will revisit Overgeneration on a podcast at some point that is an idea that we threw out there on the air and now i feel like we have to do it
1: july 5th 2018 so they kept the husk of that, of that unit going three months after it died.
2: Wait, holy shit. That's when they disbanded?
1: Yeah, they disbanded late. They disbanded to Antios.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, it was worse than I thought.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. It was It was wild. Uh, but but, but
2: anyways, I, I think there's so much value in this Aten Maria pairing. I mean, it's not exactly a continuous thread, but that is at this point now we're looking at a decade, almost nine years of storytelling that is going to get us to this Aten turn. Ashita can be a successful baby face. I have no concerns about him, no reservations about him turning face. I am curious, and maybe you're about to get to this. You want to talk about the R.E.D., uh, the, the fact that these teams are now fighting over the name of R.E.D.?
1: Yeah, so this is mostly on social media. So we have Eita and Ashida saying, we are R.E.D., I'm the leader, is my number two, you can't just, like Eita actually said, aren't you reborn about this? So they are considering, I'm calling them true R.E.D. or real R.E.D., and then you have the heels that still exist. So you have Heo, SBK, Kai, Hulk, and Shin Skywalker, incredibly small for a heel unit.
2: Yeah, I am not into this. I was excited about the Shun turn because I thought it meant that we could finally retire the R.E.D. name and more importantly, retire the R.E.D. colors, which it date back to for Zerk in the summer of 2015. You know, I've been reviewing Dragon Gate on this website since July of 2015, which was the last month of Mad Blanky's existence. So I've covered generational shifts. I've covered this company almost imploding after the OWE split. I've seen a lot of things in my day and I have primarily seen one heel unit. I would like that to change. I I would like to see some fresh colors and some fresh blood infiltrate these heel units. I don't think RED works under the Ata Ishida Maria name, I don't want to see them carry on that lineage, and I want the heels to change name and to change colors as soon as possible.
1: I, I don't think that we're going to be seeing Red as a unit very long. I, I would be stunned if by Dangerous or not by Dangerous Skate Dead or Alive in May if we still have an Red and a true Red. I think that this is just uh, placeholding for right now. The, they're almost done with their month. I think February will we maybe we'll see them announce that the heal unit's going to change, maybe. I mean, uh, we only have two matches announced for the February Corican, but I I would be stunned if by not even dead or alive, if by if we enter March with still RED and true RED, I would be stunned. Like I think that they're gonna try to get it moving, try to sell some merch. You know what I mean? Ada Turning Face you're going to have some new stuff to sell for him. So I don't think it's oh going to be Oh, God, yeah.
2: That's, that's such a great point. I mean, we've talked about on this podcast about how big of a merch mover Ata is, and that is as a heel, and now you turn him face again. I, I, I'm i so excited at Ata becoming a face again. I really think that is just the facelift that this promotion needs, and I'm all for
1: it. Let me promo- Let me throw this one unit idea out here, and I might be way off on this. Eita, Ashida, Maria, Riki Ishin.
2: Great. If that's the, if my God, if that's the route they decided to go, I'm all in on that.
1: You might want to have another top line person. You might want one more because you you have your bottom line done. You have your tag workers in there. You have your young guys. You have your main eventers. But you might want one more person so you can, unless you're going to just rocket pack the Ishins up into the main event
2: yeah what what you need the Hashis, there, sorry, it, it, what you need there, and I don't know who exactly fills that role other than this guy, but that's where you want that Kagatura level star, that true mid Carter, which might be Jason Lee of, a guy that you know, can beat almost anybody on the roster but can also lose to anybody on the roster because Eita's your top star. Again, I think Ishida has real legitimate star potential to him and, and a track record of of being a star with his Bravegate run and that Dreamgate uh, challenge versus Skywalker last year, which if my memory serves me correct, given the COVID restrictions at the time, that did a pretty good number, but I'm not 100% sure in saying that, but I, I, that is my memory. Uh, the Ahashis, we know they're great. They're going to be great. Maria's interesting. You know, she got hurt at the end of 2019 and a really ugly injury that had happened on a Hokkaido show so
1: i don't that ankle yeah yeah
2: so she was wrestling kanda in a singles match and she went to do a springboard drop kick and if memory serves me correct she basically landed with one leg behind her she kind of landed on one of her legs and it was this really nasty injury and if you Look at her output then. I think that was, you know, either the end of 2018 or the end of 2019. Now it was the end of 2018 uh, because she ended up wrestling in some of the Torrey Mon reunion matches in 2019. Uh, she has not been the same since. You know, Maria was somebody who during her Brave Gate run and during her time in the Millennials, she's not the greatest worker in the world, but she's capable of having great matches. And I thought even in the match with Eita, which was her selling the entire time, she really doesn't move around the ring all that well anymore and i'm all for her being implemented into this unit i'm all for her having a story to tell but i do worry that her in ring because of that injury she's never been the same and i don't know if she can hang with everybody the way that she used to
1: yeah i guess like like she'd be the person you expect that at the ankle i mean that's a that's a rough thing to do, especially with her offense. You know, with, with a lot of springboards, a lot, a lot of it's based off of rope running. Like, it, it definitely you have seen like a change in focus with her there. So yeah, that was that, that was
2: a really nasty injury. I mean, the the gif of that I remember being particularly uh, gross.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I remember it vividly. Since as as you brought the image, oh, you brought up the injury case. I I, I remember the uh, indoor soccer arena and her going down hard. It, it, it's not a pretty one. If if you're a sicko and you like watching injuries, it's a it's a pretty strong injury. Uh, the main event, unless you got anything else to talk about. No, let's talk about the main event. Main event was R.E.D., Kai, BB, Hulk, and the debut of Shun Skywalker. Worth noting that Shun is still wearing all masquerade colors. During the attack in the previous match, he was wearing the masquerade mask. He has to keep that masquerade mask. I'm just, it it, it works for his character. But they went up against uh, Naruki Doi, Takashi Yoshida, and Naruki Doi got his wish. He teamed with Kodama and Nora. Yoshida got the direct win over Kai with a cyber bomb. Don't see a lot of cyber bombs these days, guys.
2: <laughs> no,
1: you don't. For better or worse. <laughs> and uh, I thought this was really kind of like another performance. And I uh, like. I know my. I kind of scored this show kind of hard just because this felt like you know. Really, just, like, it was a great watch, but the matches weren't hitting for me the way it did. But this match was another display of Nurki Doi being one of the best tag team wrestlers of this generation. I mean, the way that he just seamlessly, like, added Kota Minora into his tag act was perfect.
2: Yeah, in terms of star ratings, I'm actually much higher on this show than you. 3.5 on the opener, 3.5 on match number 3, that Natural Vibes versus Arakin and Strong Machine J tag. Uh, three and a quarter on the 10 man and then three and three quarters on the Garukan mask, uh six man and the Yamato and Kazi versus the rookies trios match uh, here. It's not a match that I loved again. I, I get the doi or not the doi, but the Yoshida versus Kai thing, but I really don't think they've shown any signs of great, great chemistry. I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't love this match. And, I would like to hear your proposal for the next few months of Naruki Doi and the direction you think he's going to go because I don't think we see eye-to-eye eye on this.
1: I think that the House of Hot Boys is going to happen. I, I, it just seems like that they're building this up so much that it's either going to happen or it's going to be a big Doi turn. I don't think you add... If Doi turns heel with the current group of R.E.D. that doesn't solve the issues I have with R.E.D. right now or the heel unit... Whereas they need more people to have uh, to have undercard matches, and they need a they need a fall post, they need a loss post there. So adding Doi there actually it would be good to have more people to bounce off of Hyo and SBK on promos, because like those are the two that they they're going to have rely on promos, other than Kai going bye bye to people. So well, I don't... And
2: maybe Shun. I mean Shun, we've seen him turn his talking around.
1: Yeah, Shun is, but I also think that Shun's going to really dial into this psychological break, so it, it, it will be good Mike work. Like, he's definitely gone from a bad uh, talker to someone, at least with this character, that I find very interesting, but I don't think he can rely on that, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's it Shun... Can't exactly do a, a show well, I I don't know. is he has he been doing show closing promos? I think he could do a show closing promo in this he character. Has been,
1: he has been and he, it was him being the oblivious, oh, masquerade is fine. I'm the only one that wants to talk. Remember, he had three microphones yeah, at yeah. Kobay- Hall.
2: <laughs> Some of the greatest photos I've ever seen. Um yeah, I, I the the thing with Doy, and it seems to be the the take that I, I've read a ton this morning is that Doy is gonna turn heel, he's gonna join the RED group. I think that is a mistake if that happens. Now, I love Doi. I talked at length this summer about how I thought they were going to hit the ground running with Doi as a main character in the latter half of this year of 2021. And then it didn't happen. And one of the things that I proposed was Doi turning heel. And at the time, I was very into that move because, you know, I thought R.E.D. needed, you know, maybe some fresh blood, but also because I didn't imagine Shun Skywalker turning heel. But if we take what Yamato said, and Jay mentioned it on commentary during his match on this show, if we take what Yamato said at face value, that his last Dreamgate run was inspired by Akira Tozawa and Shingo Takagi, and the fact that Yamato is now 40 years old, and as you've talked about on this episode, about how so many guys on this roster are world-class talents ready to carry this promotion on their back, and they're under the age of 30. Yamato looked at that title win as his last gasp of hope, as the last time that he will be the top dog in this company. And that, for better or worse, you know, the youth are here and they are ready to move into position and become the featured acts of this company. Naruki Doi is 41 years old. Naruki Doi was a member of the T2P class. And while he is still a world class wrestler, Naruki Doi turning heel, and now, st- in my opinion, would be stealing the spotlight from SB Kento and Hyo and Shun Skywalker. And I think that would be a horrible mistake. They don't need him. SB Kento can talk. Hyo can talk. Skywalker and this character can talk. They can all wrestle. They do not need Naruki Doi. I am all for mm-hmm. his Hot Boys unit happening. I think turning him heel would be a giant mistake.
1: Yeah, and you brought up SB Kento. I think that, you know how I fill up my checklist of the things I want to see from SP Kento, and he keeps on checking off the boxes each time. Him leading a heel unit is much more important for the next 15 years of the promotion than Naruki Doi gets one last heel run in, in my opinion. So I think that it does the service having Doi turned heel, but I just can't. It, it's Naruki Doi, you will always have to acknowledge the possible heel turn with him. And yes, like
2: especially when they're promoting his current act as Doi Yoshi 2.0
1: right yeah but i just doi uh, if this was three years ago doi doy doing the heel turn on yoshina would have been perfect now he, he's at a point where like yeah it would be great to see one more heel run with him but not at this time not i agree
2: time. I, I think you know the, the bulk of this red story even with hulk and kai still staying in the group it's the youth it's yo and sb kento disagreeing with Ata and ashita who are of that similar generation i don't think you can throw in another old guy into that mix i just don't think doy fits i don't think doy needs to be there right now let him do his thing let him in menorah team let him and yoshida team have doy be a twin gate triangle gate guy he doesn't need to be a main eventer i don't think the heel unit needs him I, I i i would be very cautious about wanting doy to turn heel right now i think in the long term it would do more harm than good
1: yeah yeah i i think it's one of those things you have to look down the road as we were saying um uh- Other things on the match itself, Shun shoving the mask of Masquerade into Menorah's face. That's one of those chef kiss photos. You know,
2: Shun is just on another level right now. I mean, he the the comparison I made a few weeks ago was, you know, if the first five years of his career were like Brian Daniels since 2002 through 2005, where he was a world class wrestler, but. There wasn't a ton of depth to him. We're now seeing his 2006 Brian Danielson run where he becomes the complete package and one of the most musty wrestlers in the entire world.
1: No, absolutely. And it was fantastic to see. And it's going to be really fun to see how this all uh, shakes up because Eita and Ishida came out to taunt Kai in the final moments. That's what set up really the Cyberbong. Uh, Takashi Ishida did the formal challenge. Uh, Ryo Saito said that was fine. Let's look at February for it. But just so you all know, my big opponent for Kai was Big Boss Shimizu, and he's still going to be a possible contender. Now we know or we believe that's going to be the plan going into Champion Gate. Uh, Naruki Doi in the post-match was bothered that Yoshida was was focused on the title and not on getting Kota Minenora to join Doi. And, you know, I mean, that's Naruki Doi. It's all about him all the time. And then Kota Minenora was asked again to join Doi. And he said, I, I still have a lot of th- things going on here. I still got to figure things out. So, no. And that was it for the uh, doubleheader in Corkin.
2: Yeah, so we'll see more of Minora and Doi, I would assume, at the Corkin Hall in February. There's a lot more to unfold here. We are by no means done with the unit shakeup. But this was one of the most eventful weeks in Trangate in many, many years. And it certainly seems like eyeballs that had drifted away from this promotion either you know in 2017 when quality dipped or 2018 when things got tired or covid when they just stopped paying attention to japanese wrestling it certainly seems like a lot of those eyeballs are back
1: yeah and we will be here Every week and doing a lot of stuff to help people on board onto Dragon Gate because this is the fun stuff like you know how everyone's like what the best time to uh, what's the best time to start watching Dragon Gate best time subscribe to Dragon Gate Network well it it's right now it could have been yesterday but it is right now this is some of the most exciting stuff in wrestling and stuff that only Dragon Gate does. You know, I mean, whenever you you, you, this is the thing that, like, everyone gets to speculate on, okay, what's going to be the new heel unit? What's going to come out of Masquerade? Will the hot boys happen? What's the deal of futures? Like, this is the fun stuff, like, speculating and everything.
2: Is there any angle of these shows that we did not touch on is there anything that we missed that we still need to break down we talked about again all those things you mentioned where we think certain guys are going to end up i'm not sold on the Doy heel turn i you know among other things is there anything that we missed
1: you know other than i think that we need to further soak in gherkin mask doing party anthem dance god i love that man he is so good Gurken mask come on to open the voice gate be the first wrestler on open the voice it <laughs> is is <Greek> and mask <laughs> all right case. So unless you got anything else let's get out of here
2: yeah no that's that's all i've got like like i said written reviews of these shows are up at voices i did the first show mike did the second show look in the near future for more written content if you're a newer fan of dragon gate first of all at Open Voice Gate on Twitter or the Voices of Wrestling Discord. We can help you out if you have questions on how to navigate the Drangate network. If you have questions on the history of this promotion, maybe certain things that you want to figure out that you can't find the answer to, we can help you out. This is a, a, a podcast and a community resource. If you are lost on something, Mike and I are here to help and the people in the Discord are here to help. That is the Voices of Wrestling Discord, which you can find over at VoicesofWrestling.com. So please, if you're a new fan, take advantage of this podcast of our website and of the community at large
1: yeah and if anything there's gonna be a lot of cool stuff coming up for open the voice gate in 2022 along with the written stuff so keep it locked uh you can follow us again on twitter at open voice gate cases at underscore in your case i'm at fuji haya two eyes like don fuji thanks for listening to open the voice gate we'll be back next week for more comings and goings in the 2022 unit shuffle take care everyone
0: what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving